Hey, this is Charlie Benante with Anthrax, and you are listening to the Shout It Out Loudcast with Tom and Zeus. The Brown Bomber took Led Zeppelin's ever-evolving sound to its heaviest levels. Audiences across the globe were ready to be part of the journey once again on the album known as Led Zeppelin II. Well, here we are. Our second episode of the Zeppelin Chronicles. Glad to see everybody back here. We've made it this far, and uh, it's good to see you, Jay. It's good to see you, Tom. It's good to see you, Murph. Uh, I'm excited about this. Zeppelin too. We're finally all back here. It took a long time, but uh, we're all here. 283 days between the time Led Zeppelin 1 and Led Zeppelin 2 dropped only took us 203 days to get a review in place. Wow. Amazing. Uh, that's why we, that's why Murph's here. Well, I'm excited to be back because we can finally start talking about the Led Zeppelin sound that yes. they developed from Led Zeppelin 1 to Zeppelin 2. Agreed. That's right. Yeah. But as usual on this show, before we go forward, we go back. And last time on Zeppelin Chronicles, we discussed the debut album. Uh, as always, we do a little poll. And how did that work out, Tom? Yep. So the poll was uh, the the top four songs based on our average kind of group picks that we had. And the options for that poll were how many more times dazed and confused your time is going to come and good times, bad times. Dazed and confused was the big winner, narrowly edging out good times, bad times. Dazed and confused at 37 percent. Good times, bad times, 35 how many more times? 15. And your time is going to come coming in last 13%. Good amount of votes from those Zeppelin fans. A uh, couple quick comments on the poll here from Swede in New York. I'm a little dazed and confused here. I thought I heard in the episode that, babe, I'm going to leave you made the fourth spot in your combined ranking, but I can't vote for it. It's my favorite track. Well, Swede. The episode was about 13 years ago, so I can't remember anybody's <laughs> rankings. So, <laughs> but unfortunately, Twitter only has a maximum of, of four. So uh, you, you might you might be right. Our buddy uh, Bill Elam, I voted good times, bad times, but how many more times deserves more love than it gets? Agreed. Our buddy Sean DeHaan, good times, bad times, if only for the kick drum alone. Uh, Aladio, I voted how many more times? However, my favorite is Babe, I'm going to leave you. A lot of write-ins for there. Josh Flynn said, I am not a huge Zeppelin fan, but I love the episode. I have to go with communication breakdown. Uh, and then we got a couple of episode-specific comments before we uh, shift it over to Zeus and some Facebook stuff. Facebook stuff. Our buddy Heavy Mayo, get the let out, baby. Bonham sounded like he played double bass, but he didn't. And that is why he blows drummers' minds. Sean Hammond, great first episode. I've been dreaming of a show like this. Great music and great, funny, but respectful discussions about every aspect of this legendary band that will never, ever be forgotten. No band will ever be like this, ever. 
That's right, baby. Our buddy Daryl Albert, aside from Page's brilliance, John Paul Jones and Bonzo had barely met a month before, yet sounded like guys who played in a blues band together for years. It's actually a great point. Clark side of the moon. Kudos. I thought I couldn't like any reviews and discussions more than the kiss discussions, but this is pretty close. Nice work to all of you gents. Ooh. All right. So that's some good Twitter feedback on Zeppelin one Zeus. What do you got for uh Facebook stuff? All right. Um, our buddy, Kevin Jepson, one of the greatest albums of all time. Sorry, guys. In my opinion, only bad song is your time is going to come. It's Ooh. so meh. Ooh. Other than Ooh. that, loving the Zep cast. Can't wait for next. Ramble on, guys. Um, Michael Anderson. I didn't listen to your first episode. Wasn't going to tune in due to Zeppelin fatigue on the radio and everywhere. Glad I did. Great job. So glad you mentioned the parallels to the Truth album, which I'm a huge fan of. Zeppelin one, and particularly I Can't Quit You, Babe, is probably my favorite Zeppelin album. Nice. Sneed Rock, I couldn't download fast enough. Great job, boys. Excellent. SIOL uh, legend Jack Pinocchio. This is quite possibly the best debut album for any band. It showcases what Led Zeppelin can do. You want to rock? We got it. You want blues rock? We got it. Hell, we'll play an instrumental for you. Excellent comment. And Murph, why don't you take over from Loudcasters? Anything over there? Absolutely. From Michael Murphy. Great episode and good listen. Given the prolific pace you guys are releasing these Zeppelin Chronicles, I'm eagerly anticipating listening to the next episode sometime around Memorial Day 2022. Michael, good time. He's only a few weeks away. That, that, is that Nostradamus who wrote that? That, that, comment was was, that comment was from 22 weeks ago. <laughs> and, and, and trailing right behind him, Jason Robert Harding. Great episode. I forgot how much I can't stand Dazed and Confused. Zep were trailblazers in a time of hippie love. The power and sheer balls out drive and attitude they had were amazing. Keep up the good work. I look forward to hearing about episode two in May. Oh, my God. And all these comments were from December. <laughs> and they were right. That is amazing. Age is like a fine wine. We got to get uh, that's, ready. That's amazing. Oh, I so, love it. Uh, I love Zeus, I uh, don't mean to steal your thunder, but Jake, can you give us some feedback from what was on YouTube? YouTube. Oh, boy. I love it. Murph. Here we Bravo. go on YouTube. Just a handful here. We got Mr. Antonio 2005. Great review of Zeppelin 1, and it was well worth the wait. Holy smokes on the level of minutiae that this gang shared in the episode on the making of the album and specific song details. Amazing work. Thank you, Mr. Antonio. Anthony Stratus. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much for listening. 
Patton Diorama. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Hope I'm pronouncing that right. Hey, guys, have not listened to this episode because I'm a greatest hits Zep fan. I know their music, but I couldn't tell you the names of the songs. I know I'm going to get a lot of shit, but I think Steve Marriott of Humble Pie would have been a better vocalist for Zep than Robert Plant. Discuss. Ooh. No, we won't discuss that. We won't. Steve Marriott's a good vocalist, but no, that's the end of the discussion. Yes, it's not the Steve Marriott uh, in Zeppelin Chronicles. It's the Led Zeppelin Chronicles. <laughs> not the, not so, the Humble Pie Chronicles. Yes. <laughs> and then my favorite comment is from Terry the Man, who isn't the man, because he says, you should have started with physical graffiti. We should start with our foot up your ass. Because <laughs> Actually, it goes in chronological order. It goes from the beginnings before the album, from Led Zeppelin 1, Led Zeppelin 2, and so on. Do you know your ABCs? It goes A, B, C, D, F, G. We don't go A, B, Z, X, Y, U, T. So shut the fuck up and just listen. Wow. See, this is Angry Jay where he can really unload. What I usually like to tell people when they're not happy about the process of what we're doing is go start your own fucking podcast. <laughs> that being said, thanks for listening. Hey, Harry, guys, you're the I man. Just, can, yeah. Can I just say something? So I was telling my wife, she's like, so who are you doing the podcast with tonight? I said, Tommy and Zeus and this guy, Jay. And she's like, oh, wh- who, who's he? I go, he, he's kind of a nicer version of Tommy Zeus. He's not angry or doesn't give him oh, the oh, attitude yeah. back. So I'm going to, I'm going to have to say, you're going to no, have to take mind. all that back. Yeah. Jay, what uh, you're my gonna character get... is evolving in the Zeppelin Chronicles. <laughs> I was going to say, what you're going to get is what we get. Gee, when you're on other people's show, you're not yourselves. You're not as like vulgar and loud. Now people are going to say, gee, Jay, when you're not on your show, where the fuck did that personality come from? That's all right. We, we, we fucking, we wreck everybody that comes and hangs out with us. We'll Turn call Hulk. Yeah, yeah. Jay's the, Jay, Jay's the Peter Grant of this episode. <laughs> oh, Jesus, <laughs> baby. Fuck people Get up. Get that right. Cheers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I drink my Allagash. Yeah. Oh, there well, you go. All right. From Maine. Excellent. Yeah. Well, we're on to Zeppelin 2. Um, I'm excited. This is the album that, uh, a lot of people say is what the foundation of heavy metal. Uh, mm-hmm. it's got classics. It's got fucking, uh, songs that have lived on classic rock radio stations since its inception. And it's got a lot of, uh, nostalgia for everybody here. So what we usually do when we start talking about these albums Let's first get into our first interaction with this album, and then we'll get into some of the facts, and then we'll get into the tracks. So when did you get into uh, Zeppelin II, Murph? So as I've talked about in the previous episodes, that um, you know, other than Zeppelin IV, I, I did not really get into the Zeppelin catalog into, until college. And it was the greatest hit, so it was the box set. And it was probably sophomore year where I really started to understand each of the albums. Uh, so Led Zeppelin II, I think it was that time, once again, Columbia House, as for a lot of us, that's <laughs> how we, we you know, got the, the albums or the CDs together. Uh, and it was at that point where popping it in, playing it through, beginning to end, you know, it, multiple times in a short period of time that you started to understand how they, you know, their concept, how they started to create music, their inspirations. And um, this was the album that made me understand 
why they got as big as they did. Sure, Zeppelin Four was you know the stuff that junior highs, school dances, and so forth. But just this, I have been so excited about this episode because this, in my opinion, you know, there, there is not a throwaway on this entire album. As far as my introduction into Zeppelin Two. I don't know if there was really a definitive moment with the album because being a young kid, hearing the songs that were popular on this album really did populate the radio at that time, like Whole Lot of Love, Heartbreaker, Into Live and Love and Made, and Ramble On. Those are probably the big four that were played constantly. So I was familiar with those songs before I listened to the entire album. And the album itself, once I was able to kind of hear the sequencing of Whole Lot of Love and, and, and into What Is and What Should Never Be, uh, this, the album meant a lot more to me, you know, especially with the difference between Zeppelin 1 and Zeppelin 2. So for me, it was, I, I heard a different change in the band that Zeppelin 1, which I think was a great debut album, but I found this album more interesting because it really did start to find it really found their signature sound or the beginnings of their signature sound. And there was a lot more experimentation on this album too, as well with different sounds and tones. So this was very captivating for me when I first heard it. Yeah. For me, uh, I've brought this up on some of our uh, ARC album review crew episodes. I did. I mentioned a little bit on uh, the Zeppelin one episode, um, I have a sister that's four years older than me. And at our, at, at, at when we were younger, uh, you know, I, I was born in 73. We're all roughly the same age. Uh, we constantly listened to music in our house, uh, whether it was my mom, my dad, and of course, my sister and I, we grew up in the MTV era. We grew up in the era of record stores and listened to rock radio. So you couldn't escape Zeppelin. But I remember specifically having this cassette. And growing up, I had most of my extended family lived in southern Maine on uh, up on the North Shore. So for holidays or weekends, a lot of driving, a lot of driving. And at that time, it would, everybody had a Walkman, a you know, cassette Walkman. Always listened to this cassette, a lot of Rush and a lot of move, um, Rush moving pictures and a lot of Kiss. But I remember specifically, this was the album where I was like, Zeppelin, something's going on with this band. Because I like the first album. But this one, like Jay said, Murph, you hinted at it, too. And I think I'm sure Zeus will agree. This was the album that really kind of let them kind of spread their wings as like creating that classic rock proto metal sound. And the songs were like unique and different and catchy at times, too. Um, and it just became just this unbelievable piece of music that. Every single song on this album has been played on the radio. There's. There's literally not a deep cut on here. It, it's shocking. It's shocking. But yeah, I, I mean, we talked about this earlier on the other episodes, other Zeppelin episodes. I mean, it's we're such huge fans. It's part of it's ingrained in you. It's almost hard to remember. It's like trying to ask somebody like, oh, do you remember when you first walked? Well, no, I don't. But it's almost like I don't remember the first time I heard Zeppelin. Yeah. Well, Tom, um, kind of like you. Zeppelin ingrained. I had an older brother and his friends were always talking Zeppelin stuff. Um, but when I got into Zeppelin, it was roughly around, I think, junior high. Other kids were getting into Zeppelin, hung out with some kids from the projects. Uh -oh. And uh, 
who loved Kiss and got me back into Kiss and yeah. Zeppelin. And the thing about Zeppelin is that you'll find that every time we do these albums, there are certain albums that have more nostalgia. Zeppelin 2 is not one of them. So when I got into Zeppelin, I was like thinking to myself, um, all right, well, I got to learn Zeppelin 4. That's the big one. Okay. Then I did, I, as I talked about in previous years, I would go to, I'd go every other summer to Greece and I'd take these albums with me. There's something about the simplicity of having time on vacation and quiet time and a headset and like a cassette player and a Walkman that we don't have that. Now, if you listen to music, you're in the car driving. If you listen to it, it's on your phone and you're running and you're doing something. There's something simple about like listening to everything and being on a mountainside and looking over water. So when I started getting into these albums, I didn't go by, Okay, well, I got to start at one. I got to then go to two. Then I got to go to three. I bounced around. And a lot of it was because what did I find at the record stores or the cassette stores in Athens or, or in Crete? I would buy these cassettes. And um, I started with, I think, Zeppelin 4, obviously. But then I went to Zeppelin 3, Z- Presence. Then I went to Zeppelin 1. Zeppelin 2 was the album for me. That everybody else loved. I didn't have that thing. It was one of those things like, oh, I'm supposed to like it. Well, maybe I don't like it. And I got into it later. But you can't grow up and go to high school without hearing all these songs. So I remember people saying, oh, ramble on. Or, Fuck it. Oh, yeah. Moby Dick and something like like. Fuck you. Have you heard Zeppelin three side two? Uh, like, things like that really got to me. Over the years, you know, we go to college, you start getting into all the catalog. I know every song in the Zeppelin catalog inside out. I know every lyric. I know every guitar. song. I know it all by heart. Now, after time and listening to this album, it grows on you like everything does. But did I have a nostalgic feeling towards this or gravitate to this? No, not at all. Uh, it was one of the la- latter albums that I got into from Zeppelin. That's how I came into this. Jay, you have something you want to add? Yeah, you, you, you mentioned a great point about having time by yourself when you're on vacation and you got a headset and, and a Walkman. I agree 100% with that because when you think about the albums that you look at in your own catalog that you listen to, your own personal catalog, the albums you remember the most are during those times when you were on vacation, you bought an album at a record store and that, and that became the soundtrack to that vacation. Those albums stay with you. And like Zeppelin, like I mentioned with my cousin coming from California to stay with my family for about a month and a half and having a duffel bag full of Zeppelin bootlegs. I, I, I remember that moment and remember just listening to Zeppelin for like six weeks straight and how it impacted me. So you are right. When you have those definitive moments, whether it's someone coming and, and turning you on to a band or whether you're on a vacation, those albums seem to always surface more as you move on in life than you do with the albums that you just bought with your paper route money or, you know, your, your, your you know, you know, grocery store, uh, store stock boy money, you know, then when you have actual, like you're on an event in your life. Okay. You've mentioned that about the, the duffel bag. Did your cousin ever 
pack clothes for that trip or he just packed music and that was it. And then he got there. He's like, Oh, you know, where's your laundry? I don't have it. I just got these killer bootlegs. <laughs> well, that was back in the day when you didn't have to check bags or, or whatever. You can get on the plane with whatever you wanted, but he had clothes and he had this gym bag that had about three dozen bootlegs in it. I mean, and you, you look and you you look at Zeppelin. I mean, you look at this album. Like you're talking, like you look at us. Like the, the when we were born, you know, in our age and how long we've been listening to this. Like Zoo said, we know every solo, every lyric, every word. Murph and I, a few weeks ago, um, wearing the shirt to show it, we went to go see Get the Let Out. Which, if you're a Zeppelin fan and you have not seen Get the Let Out, you are missing out. It is mind blowing beyond belief. We're going again this summer. They're coming up to my favorite place up in Hampton in July. And the thing that Murph and I noticed when we walked into the auditorium was the age gap in people probably haven't seen. I mean, Kiss is like that a little bit. Yeah. But you saw people who are from grandparent age down to like teenagers. And everybody knew every word to every song for a band that's almost 55 you know however old they have over 50 years old you know 60 years old whatever you want to say in, in terms of their 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 time their timeline so it it just shows you that like we're talking about this album and we're probably going to have similar conversations as we go through discography but it's it's not an you know it's you can't underestimate the statement when you say things like the power of zeppelin and i understand that everybody has their own personal tastes and their own personal styles and stuff but listening to this at this album, I don't understand how somebody can not like Led Zeppelin. I just don't get that. I don't get that. They don't have to be your favorite band. You don't have to be passionate about them the way I am or the way we are. But when you listen to this particular album and you walk away and be like, eh, that's eh, all right. You listen to Zeppelin. Oh, you mean you say something obnoxious like meh? Yeah. The one word that does not describe Zeppelin is meh. I think you deserve a kick in the nuts if you would describe this as meh. Yeah, because it's not meh. No. You, you don't have to like it. No. Meh means eh, it's nothing special. It's kind of boring. Zeppelin's never done anything boring in my in my book. Yeah. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain here. You caught me just finishing up some editing on Getting Real with John and Beth. I want to share my first experience with Factor Meals for you. I think you'll find this interesting because I bet the same thing happens to you. I had just received my first shipment from Factor Meals the other day, and I was excited to try one of the prepared restaurant-quality meals for myself. Anyway, I was working away and noticed it was very late, and it was my night to make dinner. I jumped up and headed to the kitchen, went to grab the ingredients for the dish I was going to make, and realized I was missing a prime ingredient. Well, I could make a run to the store, or I could make one of my new Factor meals. <laughs> Actually, the choice was easy. I grabbed a cavatappi, an Italian-style pork ragu with garlic broccoli, heated the oven per instructions, and minutes later was enjoying a very delicious, nutritious, and dietitian approved meal. It really was everything Factor Meals said it would be. No prep, no mess meals. Factor Meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. Take it from me and head to factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash Pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. 
Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain again with something every podcast listener and music junkie needs to hear. As I'm sure you can guess, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I also listen to a lot of music, so having high-quality headphones and earbuds are absolutely critical to my day. Oh, and I have numerous pairs. In fact, I have a junk drawer of used devices that have bitten the dust, so I've tried them all. Recently, I was sent a pair of earbuds by Raycon, and the first thing I noticed was the cost. Uh, Looks like their products are about half the price of other premium brands. Okay, that's cool. And the reviews seem pretty stellar. Okay, checks that box. So I got my Raycon Everyday Earbuds, a nice packaging to open, and what I immediately noticed were the pack of ear tips for sizing. Uh, I'll tell you, I have small ear canals. Uh, I know, a flaw. So to see choices for the best fit, uh, especially while exercising, uh, oh yeah. And yes, they were immediately comfortable. Sound quality was great too. Plus I have three EQ options that I love because I like more bass in my music and less in the podcasts. Eight hours of playtime for the battery is great as well. Surround sound, noise canceling, and awareness mode all included. I think I'm in business, and I just realized I've had them in all day. Like I said, super comfortable. Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. American Criminal is a new true crime podcast from the studio behind American Scandal and American History Tellers. Every week, you'll fall deeper into the riveting stories of the country's most clever, craven, and cruel criminals. Fraud, theft, murder, and worse. Whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the whole story until now. The debut season tackles one of the most sensational cases of the 20th century, the Menendez murders. In 1989, young Lyle and Eric Menendez brutally shot their own parents. Prosecutors and the press said it was a multi-million dollar inheritance that led two greedy rich kids to murder. But the picture-perfect facade this Hollywood family built hid troubling abuse. Could these teenagers have been driven to kill? Or was it even in self-defense? Listen now. Go to AmericanCriminal.com or search for and follow American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Well, all right. Let's get into some facts about the album, okay? So Zeppelin II got released October 27, 1969. Again, produced by Jimmy Page. It went number one on the U.S. uh, uh, album charts. It sold, I believe, 3 million copies in its first three months. Do you know what that was like at like at that time? In 1969? You weren't sell- people weren't buying albums, million albums. So to sell that many that quickly. Remember, guys, this is the fun stuff. Like I always talk, we, me and Murph always laugh about Hotel California. That came out after the biggest selling album they've ever done. So... This is before Zeppelin 4. They were yeah. selling 3 million albums of an album in three months. They, the album ended up selling 12 times platinum. Uh, it's number five on Spin Magazine's 25 Greatest Album, number 75, uh, top 25 for Rolling Stone Magazine. Um, Rolling Stone sucks. Uh, 
Um, it's their second studio album. First to have Eddie Kramer as the engineer. And you can tell. Yeah, there's a big difference here. Um, and then this is the first where Robert starts getting writing credits mm-hmm. because his record contract with CBS came out. And so now he can actually do this. The album actually knocked off it, Abbey Road twice as the number one album. And Good. It there for seven weeks. <laughs> Rolling Stone, of course, bashed it when it came out. Oh my God. Uh, but now everybody literally says it's the quintessential heavy metal album. It, did it invent heavy metal? I don't know. That's what they say. And there's also the comments of this being the blueprint for all heavy metal bands to follow in the future. That's some of the facts that I got. Anybody else want to add something? One of, one of my favorite uh, references to this album in terms of, you know, the birth of heavy metal. So one of the books that uh, that, that we have uh, that some of us have is uh, this book called Led Zeppelin, all the songs, the story behind every track. It is 600 pages. <laughs> it is the most ridiculous boys everybody holds it up it's the most ridiculous book i mean it breaks down like literally the types of strings that jimmy pages uses on his acoustic guitars during the recording of of so yeah they the chapter on zeppelin 2 they call this the birth certificate of heavy metal which i thought was just an unbelievable phrasing of it and and a lot of people say that when you hear these songs and we, we're going to get into the track by track it still has the blues based, obviously, but there's more, there's more swagger to me. This is, I, I mean, for lack of a better term, you hear a lot of people use this with eighties hair metal. To me, this is like the first like cock rock album. The first, like we're here to like friggin' take your wives and take your daughters and like bang them all while we play this music. <laughs> like, like, and it's the first like metal album, but it had a metal album with that that bluesy that swagger that rhythm that melody I, I i do i think this is the blueprint for everything that came after it in terms of metal one of the interesting things about this album is kind of the background and the recording process for it yeah i love i love learning about the creative process for each album because each album is kind of like a diary entry for a band this was recorded uh, over several different studios or throughout there were several different studios globally, like in the UK, United States. And Eddie Kramer actually credits Page for really being the, the guide to have that consistent sound on this album. Uh, he high praise from Eddie Kramer because there were, you know, when you go from studio to studio, it, it can be very taxing on the band. It, you know, can, songs can kind of lose their, their luster a little bit. Uh, and Paige was really the driving force with that. This album was also nominated for a Grammy. That didn't win, but nominated for a Grammy on the packaging of the record, too, as well. So that's something that I really don't think they had that as a category anymore. But interesting note on this album just as well. Yeah, Jay, to that point of for what we're talking about, what we will talk about uh, if you're not familiar with it, you know, those that are listening, just look up of how they worked on this album while pushing Led Zeppelin one, as you mentioned, they were going back and forth between the UK and the States. Uh, I think they were in 13 different studios during the recording of this album. And, uh, what I thought was also interesting, uh, Glenn Johns, 
obviously, you know, uh, of uh, Zeus and I know with the Eagles wanted to be get get credit for this album. And Paige said, no, you're out because I don't want anyone to feel like they're in a position they can take any credit for what we're creating. It's going to be the names that I want, which is mine. Um, So just the the backstory of how they were able to create this with all the other stuff going on um, just, just adds to, to their legacy, in my opinion. And think about it and think about it too. This came out 10 months after Zeppelin one. So like you said, it was recorded all over the world while they were touring in support of Zeppelin one. And, you know, they just put out one of the greatest rock albums of all time that sells 3 million copies like right away. It's like, Jesus, like talk about everything you touch turns to gold. Just miraculous, a miraculous effort. I like the fact that during this time in these areas, like all those bands from the seventies, you're talking Zeppelin kiss Aerosmith, the Eagles are putting out the greatest rock albums ever all while fucking touring nonstop. Incredible. That's amazing. Nowadays, like look what every, it takes somebody to fucking, Oh, it takes me whatever to finish an album. That is insane that they finished this. However, let's be real. A lot of this material still, they, this is what I, I, I think me and Jay were talking about this the other day. This album is still not, Nah, Zeppelin is still not there yet, meaning hmm. they still are relying on some of their older tricks. Let's take a song that we all know and we play in our repertoire and change it up a little bit. Let's take this and we'll get to that part of the album. They're not there yet. The sound is getting there and the songs are getting there. I still think this is transitional, but they're introducing a lot of new shit that wasn't before in popular music. So I, I, I and we'll get to that part of the songs when we go through them. One thing before we jump into the talking about the cover, just one more comment. And Zeus, you I think you brought it up uh, talking about how Plant kind of became like a full blown like front man with this album. Like he kind of kind of had a little bit more of like, hey, look at me as opposed to the first album. Uh, and it's documented that that kind of pissed off Jimmy Page a little bit. Because this was Jimmy's band, you know, like Murph brought up the whole thing about Glenn Johns wanting to be involved. And he was like, no, well, people like, fuck, you guys got a front man who can not only sing, but got swagger, you know, the golden God. And Jimmy Page was lyrics. Well, that's thing, too. He started contributing lyrically. And Jimmy Page was like, hey, but like Paul and Gene, they realized that the success is there. So let's stay together. And it's funny how you say that, because I think similar to Paul and Gene. When this was Gene in the beginning and Paul yep. was the shyer one of yep. the two. And Gene had the balls to be like, shake my hand, sign this band, do this, and that. Jimmy's yep. like, this is my band. And all of a sudden now we're at the stage and Zeppelin say, hey, uh, Robert, any chance we can get together? And do- no. <laughs> hey, uh, what about this idea? If we release this? No. Yep. Hey, Paul, can we do this? Um, I don't think so, Gene. <laughs> That's where we're at. Yeah. The roles changed, yep. but we're still in the beginning stages and we're starting to see that grow. Yep. Um, There's something interesting, too, about this album that I want to mention before we dive, get deeper into it, is when we compare this to Led Zeppelin 1, Led Zeppelin 1 was recorded very quickly, right? And it was, it was you know, everybody combined forces, 
They went in the studio, they cut the album. And a lot of it was standard blues stuff. I Can't Quit You, Babe, You Shook Me, Babe, I'm Gonna Leave You was, was lifted, Days and Confused was lifted, Brooks Bolero was inside of How Are More Time. Uh, a lot of standard. Uh, um, borrowed. Oh yeah, borrowed. <laughs> borrowed. Is that the legal speak? I don't, yes, know, I don't yes. know. So so my point is is that that album, although it's great, Led Zeppelin One is a great debut album, but anyone again, I know it's people's opinion, music is subjective, but if anyone puts Led Zeppelin in their top five albums of Zeppelin, I don't think they really honestly understand the essence of zeppelin in terms of the journey in terms of the the progression in terms of the evolution that's my dropping bombs i like it yeah i I like it he's fucking wrong but anyway um let's get to the cover all right so the cover uh i mean i i think that after led zeppelin one there was it was a very high bar to begin with of ever trying to to top the the impact and how it just pulls you in but as we realize over time page didn't care about this stuff i mean in some ways he he was trying to turn you off or you know and and, and piss off the labels so um the cover of led zeppelin 2 you know for me it, and and given the age i was that when i started to get familiar with with their their catalog it kind of seemed to me a little bit of uh was this kind of uh just uh you know mimicking what was with sergeant pepper you know these guys are in this other photo and then oh as i became familiar over time that it actually is based off of a historic photo of where page reached out to uh someone that they were working with and said you know you know find something that will that that will get my interest in it was based off of a photo from World War One of the Red Baron and his squadron, and that they ultimately put the four members in there, and then uh, took some liberties with the the other folks that are in the photo. Um, so, you know, when you know that, you can appreciate it more. But you know, in, in my earlier days when I was getting you know hooked on the band, the, the album cover really didn't do anything for me either way. Yeah, it was based. It was designed uh, from a poster by uh, a gentleman by the name of David Juniper, who was just told by Page and the band to just come up with something interesting, and uh, and he did. You know, like Murph, you talked about it was a picture of uh, of a division of the German Air Force. Uh, they they took the the heads of the band members and put them on there. You know, it's as Jay said at the introduction of the episode. It's no, it's been it's known as the Brown Bomber. I, I mean, do you like the album cover? I mean, yeah, it's iconic. Iconic doesn't necessarily mean good, but it means it's it, it it's you you know it when you see it. You can envision it when people say Zeppelin two. You think of it um, again. It's nineteen sixty nine, like you said. Page wasn't really obsessed with that type of image, so they put it out there, and you know, it's 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 the Brown Bomber. Now, for me, quickly before we kind of go around the, the table here with the album cover. Um, because I'm a vinyl geek, I have the uh, the remastered when they when they released all re released all the vinyl on 180 gram and it was all remastered by Jimmy Page. Um, the gatefold for the vinyl it opens up and it has like the steps of like a coliseum with the names of each band and spotlights on a golden zeppelin over it, uh, which is pretty ballsy for a band's second album. 
uh, back cover really doesn't have much. And it's just got like a white shadow of, of a Zeppelin. Uh, so it's kind of, you know, like I said, it's iconic. Is it good? Eh. Not, not really great for me, but Jay, what do you think? I like the cover. Uh, I think it was interesting. I think, you know, you have to, you know, go back to 1969 when things were being put out and the design, you know, having the Zeppelin border, the brown background, which gave it the name of the brown bomber. And of course, David Juniper, just to, you know, kind of add a little bit more of a tidbit on that, was actually a fellow student of Pages at the mm-hmm. Sudden Art College in Surrey. So, again, you're, you know, there was a little bit of play on that picture that uh, that was famous. It was a famous war picture in World War One, But I like it. I, I appreciate the history behind it. I appreciate kind of what they were trying to do. Um, again, 1969, no one was really doing that at that time. And I think it actually pushed forward other bands to kind of go beyond the boundaries of making a great album cover. Yeah, I, I don't have any nostalgic feeling towards this album cover. It's, I mean, we know we know it. It's legendary, uh, but it's nothing that I look at and like, oh my god, that's such a great cover. There's no colors or things like that or imagery that's uh, that's legendary for me. It's just iconic because it's Zeppelin too. Um, the picture of the band, it's like these pictures. I I know the band. This is '69, but the photos of the band, they look their faces look like it's. 1919 as well oh yeah. yeah i mean it just looks odd and then uh you know i didn't know who these people were but some of the other people are actually famous that's right for the time yep. that are in that image zeus it was funny that you know obviously pre-internet but they still fucked it up where uh they wanted to put the the face of neil armstrong and they put a different astronaut i think it was <laughs> frank Borman or another nasa astronaut it's <laughs> that's like right. and they published it you yep. had one job to do. That's right. Yep. Yeah. In and the image, of course, there's another Zeppelin in the picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some, I don't know, smoke or clouds coming up. Uh, and this is kind of like uh, uh, an imagery of a poor man's Sergeant Peppers. That's how I look at it. Yeah. Murph, Murph picked up on that, too. See, I didn't right? pick up on that because I don't listen to the Beatles. So sorry. No, but it's the imagery where I I famous I faces are popped in the background. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. That. I don't know. The guys, the guys, the guys to the left of the band look like uh, a cross between the village people and the guys from the Blue Oyster and Police Academy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the other thing is, I, for a while there, I couldn't tell that that wasn't Robert uh, standing up, the female. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Right? Because Robert's hair is like almost similar in that style photo, except a little darker. But, you know, it's Zeppelin 2. We all know it. It's iconic. But I don't know. It doesn't it doesn't give me all the warm and fuzzy feelings of, uh, right. I don't know, Blizzard of Oz. <laughs> right. Or, yeah, exactly. or uh, Iron Maiden cover. It, That's it's right. Iconic because of who it is and what it is. Yep. So, yep. Anyway, um, any more thoughts before we get into the tracks? This album knocked abbey road off the charts at number one twice good um it was also the marketing aspect of the album was led zeppelin time to fly or mm-hmm. led zeppelin the only way to fly it also had four hundred thousand advanced orders in 1969 
Think about that. Think about pre-orders today. Think about the reliance on pre-orders. 1969, 400,000 advanced orders and, you know, knocking what is regarded or who is regarded as the greatest band of all time and the Beatles twice off the, the charts at number one. Yeah. One more thing before we get into the tracks, um, you know, we did talk about how Eddie Kramer was involved in this and you can, you can definitely see that. Um, and, and whether it's a product of Eddie Kramer being involved or it's just a product of Jimmy Page in the, in their, their songwriting and, you know, they're putting together of, of the, of, of the packages of each song. Um, this to me is the album where page kind of asserts himself as like a riff master metal guitarist. Like you saw some of that on the debut album, but there are songs here that have some of the most iconic legendary classic riffs in the history of rock music. And I think this is when people like, okay, here's a guitar God for the ages. Well, I think this first track is exactly what you're talking about. So let's hear it. lot of love first song led zeppelin 2 uh for the debut album i mentioned uh with good times bad times that was their way of saying here we are and here's our story we're ready to knock your socks off the laugh from plant at the very beginning i i've always been fascinated by it because with the cd that I had when I was listening to it, I was like, what was that? You go back, you hit the laugh, you do it again. And when it was on vinyl, when this came out, it was, people were like, what is it? And in my head was, you know, probably just some riffing in the studio, but I'm looking at it now going, he's laughing of saying, get ready, folks. You know, I've put on my big boy pants. I feel like this is the album where Plant has, is no longer on probation. He is owns this he his sound is just roaring through the speakers and granted it takes a little longer for um bonham to jump in but similar to the debut on the first song you've got page coming in right away 
and then Jones right after with the base. And then all of a sudden, you know, just plant just, just this raw erotic sound. Um, you know, we can get into it about the, you know, just the, the two minutes of the, what they talk about the orgasmic scene, but I feel that this is as close to a perfect hard rock slash heavy metal song that you can have. I love this song and never get sick of it. I can't wait to hear what you say about this. The first track, like you said, whole lot of love just rumbles and tumbles and freaking gets your ass in gear to listen to this album. This is a great opening track because it separates themselves instantly from Led Zeppelin 1. Although the first track, Led Zeppelin 1, Good Times, Bad Times, feels that pounding from, from Bonham. And as Steve Perry said, he did a pullover because he never heard anything like this. Bonham's playing on Led Zeppelin 2 you can imagine is light years ahead of what he did on Zeppelin one, because here's the thing. And, and Led Zeppelin one bottom is more or less pounding the drums, right? That's what you hear. You hear the pounding, you hear that, you hear that fierce playing by bottom on Led Zeppelin two, the pocket, the bottom pocket is established. And, Every drummer who's been influenced before plays drums mentions the pocket of Bonham, and this is where it begins. For everyone listening, go back and listen to Led Zeppelin 1 and then listen to Led Zeppelin 2. Bonham's drumming is night and day. It is It has evolved. It is on another level, and he continues throughout his career to just get better. That's the first thing you notice. The sick lick that Paige plays on this song is undefinable. They're indefinable, undefinable or indefinable, undefinable. And it is one of the most recognizable riffs in rock history. You hear the first note, you know, it's instantly a whole lot of love. You know, it's Zeppelin. And like you said, Plant owns this song. People make the comment all the time, Robert Plant's voice is what sex would sound like if it could sing. This is the example. This is what they are talking about. And of course, you got JPJ just nailing it down. And as far as the orgasmic scenes on this, when you listen to this and you listen to You Really Got Me by Van Halen, where do you think they got it from? They got it from this song. Nice. Yeah, I mean, this was by BBC Radio voted the greatest riff of all time beating out songs like Back in Black, ACDC, Sweet Child of Mine, Guns N' Roses, the greatest riff of all time. It's undeniable, like Jay said, the opening of a song. When a song opens like this, you said it. It opens with one of the greatest riffs in the history of riffs, okay? Then you got John Paul Jones coming and laying the groove. Then you have them all coming together for the most unbelievable thing sonically that you've heard from this band. They did nothing like this on the first album. And I think we all agree that we loved their debut album. This is how, you know, like Murph said, when he was commenting, we're here and we are ready to take over and we're all going to do it differently than we did on the first album. Plant is doing stuff vocally. He never did on the first album page. Jay, you, you, you brought it up great. I have it on my notes. Bonham's pocket and groove on this song goes 
very, very unnoticed because you're so focused on what Paige is doing riff wise and what Plant is doing vocally that the little bouncy groove that Bonham is keeping with this song, you can hear it so well if you're really paying attention. This is one of those albums, Zeppelin in general, but this album particularly, listen to it with headphones. There's so much going on in, in, from left to right and right to left. It's amazing. It's amazing. Um, and that middle section that we're gonna that I'm sure we'll talk about. But the thing that sticks out to me when I think about the song, other than the riff, is when you hear just Plant singing, but you hear the bleed over of the other set of vocals. And Eddie Kramer and Jimmy Page, they couldn't believe it. They said it that was a bleed over from another track that they couldn't they couldn't delete it, and they just said, "This sounds pretty cool. Let's go with it." And it became legendary. It became iconic. It was accidental. That's the genius of Zeppelin. Whole lot of love written by John Bonham, Willie Dixon, <laughs> John Paul Jones, Jimmy Page, Robert Plant. Uh, it actually was a single. And we'll talk about how they cut it down and didn't want to cut it down and went to number four. It was certified gold. It's the only top 10 hit for the band. Listed as the number three greatest hard rock song by VH1. 75 of 500 greatest songs by Rolling Stone. Number 11. Uh, Rolling Stone greatest guitar tracks. It's in the Grammy Hall of Fame. The only thing I, I mean, you got to start off is with the riff, that mm. legendary riff that we all know. Uh, the issue is once again they get in a little bit of trouble that it's built on Willie Dixon's "You Need Love," recorded by Muddy Waters in '62. In '85, Dixon was then given writing credit after his lawsuit. If you look at Dixon's version of it. it the way down inside, <laughs> women, you need love. <laughs> yeah, I wonder where we got that. And exactly. then small, yeah, small faces did that. Their version in '66, which they didn't give him credit either. You need loving. That's what their song's called. Um, uh, Jimmy's using the what do you call it there? Uh, the theremin. The, yeah, the theremin on the to make that backing that weird fucking sound that he does on that. Yeah, it's that um, weird thing where you kind of see it. We, you, uh, maybe you've been to some concerts where you see like they'll put their hands in front of it and it kind of it, it affects the frequency and yeah. it makes that that weird like electronic like distortion, like radio wave kind of sound. And Jimmy was talking about the riff that it wasn't just going to it wasn't it uh, uh, just to open up. It was strong enough to drive the whole entire song mm-hmm. and that 118 to 302, which you guys already mentioned, the orgasmic or the freak out section. Uh, I'm going to give you my opinion. I'm not a fan of it. <laughs> that's the fucking shit that I, I throw my hands up. and like, the fuck, Robert? That's exactly what the Townsends, the fucking, um, what's the name? Richards and all them are talking like, oh, this pretentious fuck. <laughs> Dude, I don't want to hear a fucking grown man Act like his balls just got touched for the first time. Did a grown man? He was twenty. Oh, just Axel did it in Rocket Queen, and we liked it. It wasn't Axel making those noises. He was making a girl make those. Noises. All right. Well, same thing. You still have sex noises. Well, yeah, that's even that's you high five your friend like that. Are you gonna high five me if you hear me going? Ooh, ooh, actually, you know ooh. what? Actually, you know what? You bring up a great point because that those sounds in Rocket Queen were made by a woman who was legitimately getting banged in the recording studio. Yeah, I think his drummer's girl. Friend. yeah right right well but you know it's just that this is the kind of shit that i i, I no need for it for me no need for it and it, and it kills Dude, the legacy of this on. song 
No, can it I, doesn't. Oh, it, wait a minute, wait a minute. Can I can I finish what I was saying? No, because I thought we went around and you guys already spoke. No, so let me finish. I don't like it. I think it's pretentious. I think it's fucking silly and it's unnecessary. It makes this is when Sonny Pooney's right. It's too fucking long. You don't need that whole part in there. There's Deuce. other great parts in this that you could have done. The Deuce. moaning and shit. No. Deuce. Um. Deuce. Can I finish? I just Zeus. I agree with you. hundred percent. Thank you. We'll get back to them. Murph. All right, Murph, take the floor, buddy. Go ahead. <laughs> Open it. Oh, you agree so you can interrupt. <laughs> uh, but let me, let me just finish these thoughts. And I, cause I want to have this conversation because it is a big thing about Robert Plant and his style. And that's why, that's why amongst all the singers and stuff and all the Jimmy gets all the love amongst all the British legendary musician. He gets all the love. So does Bonzo, not Robert. There are a lot of those British people are not musicians are not big fans of his. But anyway, uh, I love the legendary opening of the riff. Um, and then, you know, the drums, the drums are just fucking it's that Bonzo fucking legendary bubble bubble. That guitar, when that comes in, when they finally pick up and the uh, ooh, and then it leads to the Bonzo's drum. Din, din, ban, din, din, and that legendary solo, which we all know, we could all hum it. How do you fucking not say Zeppelin is one of the most that this is one of the most incredible things you've ever heard that the drums right to the solo and then back to uh, them. And then the echo at the end where Tom, you were just talking about it. Yep. And you can hear you need, you can hear him back. then, And then that long note, he carries love. And then and that and then back to that best part of the song that is it gives you chills to think about at some point in this world we didn't have this and they like here you go take this and how many how many people how many rock guitarists and how many new fans music fans think of that and that opening riff back to the beginning again at the end ah chills but uh murph you were saying something about robert so actually, uh, with, with Plant, I, I think that is at the end of the song when he hits that note where you noticed whether it was the touring that was going on, that his voice has matured and, you know, he, he doesn't sound like the 19-year-old kid. I mean, he's only 20 in this, but he just he, he sounds different. He sounds like he's got some time under his belt. Um, but I, I, I think also that, you know, w- we're we're talking about this song in 2022 in the days of 140 or now 280 characters, you know, in 1969 in the you know psychedelic we were just coming out of it, you know people loved probably loved that but now it's like okay you know it, I wouldn't say it's a filler but I just want my music I want the sound I don't need that intermission if you will so Zeus as I said before and I'm I apologize I interrupted you I agree with you. And I, and I understand. I'll give you guys credit there because I do understand where you're coming from, that it is considered filler, perhaps. I mean, I like it. Jay likes it. I get it. At the time, Murph, you nailed it with the psychedelic stuff. Obviously, Zeppelin was great at doing that. Uh, is it necessary? No. But it's a, it's a little interlude in the middle of, of a riff rocking song. It's bathroom so, break. It's bathroom break. Eh, you got not too for many me, to go. but that's okay. Hey, not for me. The part where he's going, and you can hear and yeah, the drums yeah. and some little guitar noises and then la, la, like that's okay yeah the, ooh, 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 ah, 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 ah. 
<laughs> Sounds like the I can't say his name just in case gets back to him. Even, Sounds like the kid that the little flamboyant kid that broke his leg in my hockey team. Are you literally goes, ow, 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 you kidding ow. me right now? Jay's having are a stroke over right Jay, Jay, Jay likes listening to Robert Plant <laughs> orgasm, apparently, because he's upset. Dude, god damn it, I fucking do. Here's the thing. You know why none of those musicians back in the day thought, you know, that was unnecessary or whatever? It's Jealous. It's because they couldn't do it, right? They Jealousy. couldn't do it. Jagger couldn't do it. Daltrey couldn't do it. They no couldn't could moan. Who? They couldn't moan. Oh, if they could do it, they would have done it. That's the whole point. This is this establishes Zeppelin for who they became, right? The Riot House band that came to LA and had fun with a red snapper. This was the sign of excess that this band was going to do. I mean, when you hear the pounding of drums and the guitar solo. It's not about him being pretentious and him being, you know, showing off. It is. However, look at what's going on in that moment of the song. Everyone in the band is showing off. Paige, Bonham, JPJ, and Plant. It is a orgasm of the whole band. And that's, you know, that's the interpretation Plant went with with that. So when I hear that it was unnecessary, no, whole lot of love is not regarded as one of the greatest songs of all time without that moment. Oh yes, it is. Oh yes, it is. If he was just doing some vocal riffs like he was doing, no. later on, same thing. I'm no. really excited. I'm no. really excited how we've only made it to track one and we're already fighting. This is <laughs> fucking great because I thought this I, would just be layups across the board. I mean, so it's, okay, I just don't need it. I just I don't you. like. I uh, I totally understand. I it's totally not understand. Like make did it sound like I didn't like the song? No, I got you. Now, let's move to number two and see if we can not fight about this one. And if I say to you tomorrow. Take my hand, child, come with me It's to a castle I will take you Where what's to be, they say, will be me I guess the wind says, been sail away Leave the day way up high in the sky And we'll but the wind won't blow We really shouldn't go Going up to shore Song two, what is and what should never be. Now, part of the reason why Tommy and Zeus, they've been on text threads with with other folks and gets into a lot of the, the music that I don't chime in a lot because I would say at my core, I am not a heavy metal guy. This song here gets into my wheelhouse. The... You know, elements of it being more mellow. It starts off slow. It, it's got, you know, just, it, it gives you the peek into what they're going to have not only further in this album, but on future albums, such as Led Zeppelin III. Um, it's apparent when you listen to the lyrics that Plant is starting to get his DNA into the music with, with the lyrics. Um I love how it starts off slow. It gets you know upbeat, and then it goes back down, and then you've got the back and forth. 
and then the outtake where plant once again kind of controls the the end of the song um it, it it shows you where they're going throughout the album it's not going to be all hard rock heavy metal um and and just another example of where it brings all four of the members uh into the song showing off their skills and and this one here is just uh one that's always resonated with me what i love about this song is the yin and the yang with whole lot of love into what is what is and what should never be totally two different songs two different tempos two different moods that zeppelin produces and this like you said murph is kind of an example where this album was going I agree, but I also argue that this is also an example of where the band was going beyond this album. Not afraid to do different stuff, not afraid to throw a little bit of jazz style in in, in a song like they did with No Quarter and Houses of the Holy. Um, this is really a mature, it shows Zeppelin maturing with their songwriting and their arrangements. You also have the recording with the guitar panning back and forth from left to right, which was really cool. And if you look at this song, and you look as it picks up and Plant starts to sing, yet also kind of rap a bit in this song, too, as well. This is an influence that is revisited by a lot of rock bands with their delivery and approach on singing. It's a different style that Plant is used to doing. He doesn't really do a lot of this stuff. And here he is in What Is and What Should Never Be with the approach of more of a talking type of tone than singing. Yeah, you guys nailed it. Uh, the fact that you're seeing a different side of Zeppelin uh, of of what's going to come in the future with the with the with the rest of this band. Uh, there's another song on this album that's similar similar to this that might do this style a little bit better. We'll get to it. Uh, but the that 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 soft and loud style. The verses are fantastic. So jazzy and so smooth. What Bonham is doing with the cymbals and just a very light groove. And then all of a sudden he just comes in and pounds away on the snare page comes in plant comes in and then everybody pulls back and you kind of groove again into the verse. Then it all comes to a screeching halt and page just comes in with a, with an unbelievable riff. You got the plant howling. I mean, this is a perfect song. If, if somebody said to you, what is Led Zeppelin? I mean, yeah, you'd want to play a whole lot of love or you'd want to play communication breakdown of, you know, of course, but this song right here really checks off all the boxes on what makes this band unbelievably fantastic and talented. There's all different things are happening in one song. Uh, it, it's a standout track for a reason for me. What is and what should never be Jimmy Page and Robert Plant. Uh, supposedly Jimmy's using his Gibson Les Paul in this, his legendary one. Um, Robert Plant's... Uh, Supposedly, according to Hammer of the Gods, which everybody knows, uh, I don't know how accurate it was, was supposedly about him romancing his wife's younger sister. Mm -hmm. And Robert's trying to get all romantic. Uh, I love the left and right sound. Uh, the, the vocal performance that he does here is, is fucking awesome. He makes this song way more interesting than it probably would have ever been without him doing it this way. The soft-spoken opening lyrics and then that like machine gun rapping type version that he goes in and the guitar and everything's picking up. This is You're right, Tom. So when you say, oh, this is Zeppelin, it's not so much... Um, it's an aspect of Zeppelin. They're their variety 
their uh, vast different type of their repertoire you can put out there where you can put in, oh, if you put in communication breakdown, whole lot of love and living, loving made. And you're like, okay, wow, heavy guitar. I get it. Um, And then you come back and you're like, no, no, listen to this. Like, this is the same band. And you could put this as one of their aspects of this band where they can take a song like this, which could have been on Zeppelin three and just be like, yeah, they've got this acoustic way that the song continues, but it still picks up and it's heavy. And between all the, the uh, musicians on this is just fucking incredible. Let's Mm -hmm. be honest. They they're just fucking incredible. All of them, all four of them are just incredible. And that's why they can make a song like this that, you know, for years I was like, ah, this song's okay. And then, you know, you put the headphones on and you're like, shit, I fucking want to hear this song when I put this album on. And that's what happens with all these songs. You start at a certain point in Zeppelin, you like, you go to this song for a while, and then you go to that song for a while. And it changes because you find the little brilliance and subtleties in all their parts of their songs. And you're like, wow, this is incredible that they're doing this. And, uh, the uh, Bonzo gong that happens in the middle. Love it. Towards the end. Boom. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's just, I fucking love it. And then when he goes off in the end, then it, then it, then it, then it, Oh, fucking like that little earworm just sticks with me. And we all know it. Cause we know it. Like we know all these songs, but they don't, you don't get fatigued of them. You don't know. Cause that's there's the, so many Things in a song, in a Zeppelin song, you can pick up on. And and you just said it, and I was gonna I was gonna say that too. Zeppelin has this beautiful gift of almost not a hundred percent, but almost being fatigue proof. Yes, I mean, I mean, we're a Kiss podcast for people that don't that that may be checking us out for the first time. Zeus and I do a Kiss podcast every week. We talk about fatigue factor with our favorite band. For me, there are songs. I don't care. I've heard them a million <laughs> yeah, times exactly. and I want to hear it again. Exactly. It, it, it's it, it's what makes the band just so freaking special to me. Oh, whole lot of love. Oh, here we go. Oh, but here comes the guitar solo. Exactly. Oh, oh what is what should? Oh, but here comes that ending part where I love. Yep. You know, there's always something new that attracts you yep. and continues your love of their songs. Yep. I really like how the subtleties of this song really highlight something that Zeppelin's really not known for, which is being subtle. And if you hear this song, what is and what should never be, of course, there's the, the guitar solo is a slide guitar. That's very subtle in the approach that page does, but there's only maybe a couple moments after this song on the album where they really go into that subtlety. You really hear it a lot on Zeppelin three and then you really hear it a lot and a lot of on, on the albums moving forward. There's always those moments in, in those in those um in, on those albums that you know they take kind of a step back. They don't overplay, which a lot of bands when they get told how great they are and how awesome they are, they automatically think that they have to overplay a lot. The other thing too how this song highlights and really a whole lot of love you know, with the breakdowns and everything is Zeppelin has the ability to make one song feel like four, you know, like it feels like you're never quite done with Zeppelin song until the end of the song, until the fade out, until the song ends, because you don't know where it's going to go. Right. And, And they have this ability to make each song an individual journey. 
And I think, I think real quick before we move on to the next track, and I think that's the magic of what makes them fatigue proof is that their songs are not verse, chorus, verse, solo, verse, outro. Every song, there's so much going on with each song. You know, even a whole lot of love. I know Zeus and Murph aren't a fan of that breakdown in the middle, but it's unique. It's different from the riff. Then the riff comes back. And you'll see that a lot on the rest of the style. But of course, throughout their whole catalog, especially as they get further on down the discography. But I think that's that's a gift to a lot of their songs. I know I've talked about it a few times um, about how my introduction to the non Zeppelin four was through the box set. If I was listening to this song and not familiar with their catalog, I would have thought this would have been Zeppelin three or further along. That's mm. where it just, you know, they, as I said earlier, they were giving you a peek. This does not really fit with what I would be expecting at this time, but you knew they had it in them. Lastly, I'll leave it with this. That little subtle guitar. Yeah. Amazing. So we're so used to them being this great. But when you watch a cover band and you realize how fucking difficult it is to do that and make it come across so smooth, so brilliant and 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 so tight like Jimmy can do. You're like amazed by, oh, my God, how they did it. Yet Paige did it all the time. And this is the shit that he came up with. It is so the guitar is so much fun on this. And if I was a guitar player and could play, I would love to be able to tackle this. And it's just the touch that he has on it. The touch, not the riff. So um, let's go squeeze some lemons. Lemon song, uh, kind of a carryover from what we heard quite a bit on the the debut album. Uh, we, we've talked about it; just a, a very profound influence from the Robert Johnson, Willie Dixon, Helen Wolf. Uh, you know, Zeppelin being Zeppelin, they borrowed some things, but they absolutely put their own spin and element on it, and, and made it all their own. Listening to this, uh, I've always appreciated the song. Um, as I was listening to it this week was also thinking 
you know, I, I'm not sure if it was in any of their live performances, but this definitely had the makings of where they would go off on a 20 or 30 minute song and just everyone kind of putting their own little spin on it. When, if you, you understand their influence of the blues, you know why they have it in here. And they're talking about things that, you know, even working in with the killing floor. Good song, really suggestive lyrics, you know, going back at exactly what that was being used back in the days of the blues. Um, you know, I, I can appreciate it. I would never skip over this, but um, beyond that, you know, I, I don't have you know any any really strong opinions on it. Beyond that, hmm. this song really was developed during the first tour when Plant used to improvise a lot on stage when they would play "Killing Floor" by Howlin' Wolf, uh, and it developed into a song like like Murph just said it was suggestive but it really is kind of like a buffet of lifting several blues songs like from robert johnson from albert king from a lot of different great uh, blues grades this song really encapsulates it um all like with the zeppelin influence and robert johnson may have even lifted this song himself um from a other you know vintage blues song too as well I don't have the name in front of me. I think it's called, um, let me look it up here. It's uh, Robert Johnson's Traveling Riverside Blues, which later appeared on the box set uh, for Led Zeppelin. So this song is really kind of a, a tribute to their blues influences. And like Murph said, I, I 100% agree. It could have very well been on Led Zeppelin 1 because it kind of fits what they were doing. Great song. Um, we'll get into the rankings later, but you know, who, who can forget the uh, squeeze my lemon so the juice runs down my leg? I mean, come on, it's one of the greatest lyrics of all time. Yeah, the way the song starts, you, you know, it's 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 a unique track compared to the first two. Uh, the it's it's a it's dripping with effects. The riff is just a filthy, filthy riff. Um, Bonham comes in with the drums. Everything just sounds so different. And you can tell that you, you guys mentioned it before that it could have and maybe should have been on Zeppelin one. Um, you know, the only drawback is when it, when the song speeds up a little bit, you know, it goes through that a couple, couple seconds or 20, 30 seconds of the speed up. It's that kind of throws you for a loop. I don't, I, I, a, I don't really like that part and B, I don't really think it fits. I understand what they were trying to do. The best part of this song and one of my favorite parts of the song, and again, another reason why Zeppelin is amazing, when everything slows back down and you just got Bonham gently keeping the groove, but John Paul Jones puts on a jazz clinic with that bass line. It's just that groove that he's he's riding that little bass. And then you got Plant coming in with the squeeze, the lemon, till the juice run down my leg and all that stuff. Just, it's a unique song. Uh it's one of those songs that it's so Zeppelin and you appreciate everything that they're doing in it. It's just another unique track on, on this album. And again, no deep cuts. This is no different. The lemon song uh, written by John Bonham, Chester Burnett, <clears throat> uh, howling wolf, uh, John Paul Jones, Jimmy page, Robert plant. So this is a uh, howling wolf song, killing floor and, which Zep performed like we were talking about 68 and 69. Uh, originally they called this killing floor in an early UK pressing of this album. Mm -hmm. Another sued. And then all of a sudden Holland Wolf 
uh, gets a writing credit in 72. Um, also, it Travel Riverside Blues, Traveling Riverside Blues, when that came out in college. Insane. Yep. Oh, my God. We were fucking in- going nuts over that. Incredible. And then you're like, wait a minute. Did he just say the lemon part in that song? Right. But oh, I- wait. There was no Wikipedia that told us. But, but you know, on four, that uh, three white fucking Stonehill College boys that that song was ripped off of a fucking old blue song. And in that version, doesn't he say squeeze the lemon till juice runs down my leg? And he goes, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Most definitely. Most definitely <laughs> is right. <laughs> yeah, I think this is the uh, so it's supposed to have that. And he also supposed to have a little reference to Albert King's crosscut saw. I, I don't hear it. I've checked out the lyrics. I, I didn't see it. I, I couldn't tell. Um, it's it's like a sister song to I Can't Quit You, Baby, and and You Shook Me. I feel like these three songs are the same ones kind of combined. Um, That's a good point. Mm-hmm. Anyways, the guitar is so fucking bluesy. And then I think it's what that swing time, I call it swing time. Group. Yes. <laughs> that comes in. Yeah, yeah. Like it's a little jazz letter, like a little barbershop quartet, like little number that comes in. Very uh, rockabilly. Yeah. Mm. Then Robert brings it back with that long, right? And then he sings like he's underwater. Yes. I don't know what the hell he's doing there, but it sounds like that. And that's the part where you're talking about, Tom. And then John Paul Jones is groovy bass. Oh, amazing. Boom, 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 boom. Oh, my God. That fucking doon, 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 doon. <laughs> And then this is the part that I love. Another part where we're talking about the stuff that we hear. So that groovy bass line and Jimmy's guitar fills. And then that part where Robert comes in with that swagger. Went to sleep last night. And, and then you hear that guitar little. Oh, those fills. Just I. It takes a simple song that you've probably heard a million times. Ah, the lemon song. And then when you start listening to it again and breaking down all these little points, like, fuck, now where do I put this song? I thought I'd put it towards the bottom. Now you're like, fuck. I, and then the lyrics. I bring home my money. You take my money and you give it to another man. I should have quit you. Oh, my yep. God. That fucking song is just fantastic. And then the legendary lemon pot. The way you squeeze my lemon, you're going to make me fall right out of bed. Yeah. And then the swing part comes in again. <laughs> uh, great tune. And again, deep cut of the deep cuts, right? But is there one on this album? I don't think so. Mm. I- I'm a fan of this song. I really like it. And it's grown on me over time. Well, let's go. Thank you. Crumble to the sea There will still be you and me 
Song four, in my opinion, the definitive ballad by Zeppelin. Stairway to Heaven, let's face it, you just want an extra three minutes to slow dance and try to kiss Mary Jane at the school dance. But this is this is the ballad. This is the song that you're making a mix for your girl back in the 70s, 80s, early 90s. This is the one you were throwing on there. It's got the lyrics. It got it, it just it has just the tempo. It, I, I love this song, uh, as you'll find out later. Um, what I actually want to say is, we all know about just how it is so well known of this song fading out and then fades back in. And we know that that was uh, apparently a joke or a gag that they were playing on the, you know, in case it was getting any radio play. As Tom mentioned a couple of weeks ago, we saw it get the let out. If you had an audio recording of Tommy and I, you would have thought that we were in some like freaky sexual escapade because as the organs going out, this band was amazing. You hear it going out. We're going, do it, do it. Oh yeah, you got. He's he's gonna do it. He's gonna do it. And then they came back. We're like, yeah. And he nailed it. it. Was incredible. And you know, just the, the the elements of the song. I know we're gonna get into it. Plant wrote all the lyrics. This is one of the only songs, if you know, uh, the only song that Paige is singing on. But simple song. We talk about a few songs ago that. You know, uh, what is and what should never be was about his sister-in-law. This was about Plant's wife and traveling on the road. And it, it just goes to show you of what Plant can do as a songwriter. We see he, he'll get into some of the folklore and you know, Tolkien and so forth. But this guy can write a song, get to the heart and love it. Next. Wow. Uh, this song is... Easily in my top 10 is Zeppelin songs, one of my favorites of all time. I love how this, again, shows Plant's range as a vocalist with his approach. We hear Lemon Song and Whole Lot of Love, very similar in styles, very similar in approach. We talked about what is and what should never be. This song really shows his vulnerability as a vocalist. And how he's really dedicating this song to his wife, not just the lyrics, but the emotion of the song. And hearing John Paul Jones with the organ in the background really mirrors it quite well and really works and really kind of, if you merge two different styles of, you know, of instrumentation, plants, voice, and the organ, 
you don't know if it's going to going to work that well. You know, how's a band make it work? And they seem to really do that. The lyrics are uh, are tremendous, are incredible. The song is is a beautiful song. Yeah, for me, hearing this song live, as you guys know, I collect bootlegs. The song is really elevated live in terms of what Plant does during the performance. And for those that saw Page and Plant tour in the 90s, they did this song in concert and made me appreciate the song so much more in large part because of what Plant does with the song in, in, the, in the end and the way he improvises. I love the studio version, but give me the live version any day because of how Plant approaches it live. Yeah, you guys have kind of nailed down the effects of this ballad and and just how perfectly written and perfectly executed and performed it is. And I think, you know, I was I was listening to this song and I was thinking outside of the Zeppelin community, uh, whether they're diehards like us or people that are casual fans of the band that know the band. This song is really underrated in the world of the ballad. And I think that's because Zeppelin is not a ballad band. They'd had done. They had like maybe a few. They're they're a riff based blues rock, hard rock band. So you don't think of ballads, you know, Stairway to Heaven is half of a ballad. Um, and I think that's that's a real tragedy of this song that there's a lot of people out there that don't know it because like, oh, Zeppelin, that's that's a Stairway to Heaven. That's the the whole lot of love guys. That's you know, that, that's that band. And I think this the the song is is i mean it's 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 perfect if you're talking about a ballad it's a perfect song lyrically uh musically emotionally uh and i found something interesting too you know and the thing i love about zeppelin is every time you hear them sometimes you discover something new zeus i think you hinted at that listening to this solo it really reminded me of what bruce kulik is doing in forever that 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 beautiful picking that 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 melody that harmony of that you know it's not the exact same thing but the solo is kind of it sticks out from the rest of the song and then you get back into the song kind of like forever and i just you know i'm not saying that they're connected in any way it just really struck me as similar and uh you know i i i just think that more people outside of the zeppelin community really need to start paying attention to what this band is doing Thank you. Written by Jimmy Page and Robert Plant. In 2010, it topped Gibson's top 10 Thanksgiving songs. Okay. It was number nine, 29 on Rolling Stone's 40 Greatest Zepp Songs. So I can tell you right now, you guys will probably uh, uh, know that I agree with you 100%. I'm not sure how many accolades i can give to a song that i'll ever review on this podcast all podcast that we do there will be better than what i'll give for this song this is probably maybe my favorite song of all time it is the most beautiful fucking song lyrically musically uh vocally it's it's off the charts for me it it, it, there's never a fatigue to it it puts me in a trance in, in this vision that I have of this song, the beautiful acoustic intro. Then you got the, you know, John Paul Jones, like perfect, perfect touch on the Hammond organ. And Robert's vocals and lyrics are just, you know, it's dedicated to his wife. 
So let's get to that part real quick. I'll, and I'll skip to the rest of the music afterwards. Um, you can tell this is personal. Mm. It's believable. It's passionate. When you hear a song written by somebody about somebody they loved at the time, like uh, you'll hear, you know, Eric Clapton writing Layla and things like that. It, you feel it. This isn't um, a Paul writing, <laughs> writing. I finally found my way to you. Like, well, let, well let, let's throw in our let's throw in our pun- favorite punching bag. This isn't Brett Michaels singing. I won't forget you. <laughs> <Nah>. <laughs> but it, it's so authentic. It, it, it adds to it. Anyway, um, the the Jimmy's backing vocals. I can see why he wasn't doing it before and I can see why he won't be doing it in the future. Um, the drums when they come in. Good God. Is there a fucking like symbol that he doesn't hit that isn't perfectly timed or every drum little be bang. It's just perfect. I don't know how he does it. Um, Then coming back to the intro acoustic and then that. Oh my God. And then Bonzo hitting every little beat into that perfect little fucking solo. And yeah, Tom, I can see what Bruce is trying to do it which I love that Bruce solo. I'm not sure he'll say I got it from thank you. No, no. But I mean, I can see the similarities. It's just a beautiful little riff uh, that he does on the acoustic that is so perfectly subtle and beautiful that it goes boom. And then back to Robert silence, then ham and organ, then back to the original lines that Robert sang in the beginning. And he's almost whispering them. And it's, and I, you get this visual that he's like, again, like this Norse god on a mountain with the waves crashing in a fucking time long past. And he's whispering this to his wife, these lyrics. And, you know, it's like fucking Dungeons and Dragons shit that I'm getting, like these images mm-hmm. of these Norse gods and these Vikings. And him singing this to his wife and then back to the beautiful fucking Hammond that leads us out and then comes back. It's a little, I love it loudish. (laughs) Let's take that part from thank you and add it to, I love it loud. Um, (laughs) The imagery is fucking incredible. I mean, I can't love this song anymore. I was also uh, an HBO show that I used to watch. And I don't know if any of you guys did was true blood, true blood at the end scene is a happy scene where they're all the characters that survived the series and they don't have any music. I mean, they don't have any dialogue. They're all outside in a picnic, the ones that survived and you tell it's either Thanksgiving and it's a happy scene. You see all these people that have been through so much laughing and sharing this meal on a big picnic table. And out, out playing the whole scene is thank you. And it's just, whoa, what a fucking great way to end a series. Mm. And it just made me love that song even more. I, again, maybe one of my favorite, if not my favorite song of all time. Wow. Nice. Wow. Yeah. Jay, Jay, just to quickly follow up on something that you said um, that kind of ring the bell with, with me is it doesn't surprise me to hear that plant, you know, sang this better live and sang it better in the nineties. He wrote this when he was 20. 
he probably sang this in his 40s, having lived his life, you know, doubled doubled his life and probably would, you know, had more emotion into it. And it, it doesn't surprise me because it's not a, it's a song you could sing at 20, at 40, at 70, and you could still sound great. You don't, it, it's not a very demanding song. And I think also just where, you know, just, I know I referenced at the beginning where, you know, I, I view this as the ballad as opposed to uh, Stairway to Heaven. Stairway to Heaven's got a story behind it. It's got nothing to do about love. It's about a journey. And, you know, we can get into that later. But this right. year, it, you know, like you listen to it. This is about someone for someone that he cares about. And, you know, I think that's why people probably have a connection. And, you know, if you, you don't have to dig too deep into it, too. Um, and not surprising to hear that this was the song at many weddings over the years as well Murph, in the seventies. Yeah. The, the only thing I can think of it, all of my love, but that's kind of mid tempo almost a little bit. Mm-hmm. All of my love is the only thing that I can comes to me. as like a real love song to somebody, you know, it's since I've son. That's yeah. about, about, yeah. about his son passing, but it's since I've been loving you, but that's like a bluesy pleading, but ballad, ballad, like a love song. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if Zeppelin had another had one. rain song. That's not. I don't know if I'd call that a ballad though. It's thank you was fucking... thank you was a love song. It's a ballad. Yeah. It's it's yeah. Well, you know, getting getting. First, I'll touch on what Mark, but what Murph said is yeah. You know, Plant did sing sing it differently. Page and Plant, but even some of the earliest bootlegs, he did a lot of stuff um, for that song to elevate that song, but. The approach, like you said, you know, having it over a span of time. I think one of the words that we haven't used yet to really define this song or really why it captures all four of us is it's probably the most or one of the most beautiful melodies that the band ever produced. Mm. Like you can hum that. You can you can hum that melody. You can feel that melody. Up until this point, it was blues rock. It was hard rock. It was, you know, sexual innuendos. And then here comes this song that between the intro with Jones and Paige, it's just this beautiful piece of music that just is so defining. Well, let's fuck it up and talk about a heartbreaker next. Heartbreaker, first song, side two, side B, flip over the vinyl. Uh, listening to this, 
Uh, I know we're going to say certain songs in this album define a certain individual. Um, in spite of what we spoke about earlier with a whole lot of love, when Mr. Page shows up at the pearly gates and they say, what did you do on your time on earth? He's going to hand over this. Uh, in my opinion, this is the song thus far that defines Jimmy Page. Um, the creativity, the, the riffs, uh, you know, just the solo. I, I just, I, this song just blows me away. And then the, the lyrics, I know we've all had situations in our lives where, you know, we're with someone and, she calls out another man's name, you know, that, that, that's common, <laughs> right? Um, but this, in my opinion, whereas Whole Lot of Love could be viewed as the first heavy metal song, this, um, you know, and, you know, we can get into the difference between hot rock and heavy metal. This, in my opinion, is their gold standard for a hard rock song. The riff is so recognizable for Jimmy Page. And, and I think when you are putting together a playlist of Page's most recognizable riffs, this song has to be a part of that. Uh, recorded in New York, as I mentioned before, this, you know, the band went to different studios around the world to record. This one was recorded in, with Eddie Kramer uh, as the engineer on this song. And it really is in my point you look at a whole lot of love and you look at heartbreaker i think they're both defining songs for zeppelin on zeppelin 2 um the difference is is that you've got that solo at the end with page and it's just page what makes this song so remarkable though is bottom and if you've ever heard just the isolation of bottom on this track it it's tremendous it's this is this is a song when people talk about Bonham playing to Page, like a lot of drummers play to the bass player. Bonham's totally playing to Page on this song, and it's very unique in that style because John Paul Jones has got to figure out where to be on it, right? He's got to figure out where he fits in this song and how does he fit into this song. So, as far as the performance, it's it's one of the best tracks on the album. As far as playing this live and the, and the songs that they played live, this was always a crowd pleaser. Uh, easily one of the most recognizable songs by Zeppelin. Yeah. I mean, if you listen to, if you've listened to rock radio, classic rock, I mean, the, the, it's undeniable. I mean, it's even people that don't listen to hard rock and metal and Zeppelin know this riff and know this song. Um, you know, it's incredible. It, it's in, it, and, and the interesting thing, and I don't know, if I'm a huge fan of it is when the song goes silent and it's just page with the solo. Now, granted the solo was recorded after the song was already done. So it was kind of independent of the actual recording of the song itself. But when him and Bonham join forces, when the song speeds up and it just turns into a, just a, a chaotic jam, it's, it's just spectacular. And I think one of the thing that's really, that's really interesting is that there's three separate guitar tracks going on at the same time. You got something going on to the left side of you, something going on to the right side of you. Then you have the solo going on. 
So there's so much going on. And I said this earlier in the episode that listening to this album or Zeppelin in general with headphones on is an experience unlike any other because you're hearing so many things in your right ear that your left ear isn't hearing and vice versa. This is definitely one of those songs. It's a classic for a reason. It's, it's, it's Heartbreaker. Heartbreaker written by John Bonham, John Paul Jones, Jimmy Page, Robert Plant. Ranked number 16th guitar solo by Guitar World. Uh, number 320, Rolling Stones, greatest song of all time, the guitar rift. You know, that's the thing that makes this thing so legendary. I love this whole evil woman blues stories that they do about all these evil things and stuff. And it's like, you know, a staple of blues songs of all the women that do men wrong and things like that. Uh, and this is another great version of this. Uh, love the change of the guitar when people says people talking all around. You see how the guitar get the, the whole tone changes on that. Oh, it's mm-hmm. fucking great. And then silence. And then a guitar wizard just fucking takes off. And it's amazing. And the solo. But in addition to that solo is that rocking bass and drum that rhythm section. And then you boom, doom, 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 doom. And then all of a sudden, Jimmy comes back in. Oh my God. Um, it, it's just, you're right. The guitar solo does kind of take over for the legendary part of this song, more so than the chorus, the verses, or anything else. And uh, I, I'm, I'm loving this stuff. Uh, I always love this song. It's a great, the solo is just one of my favorite solos of all time. And Eddie Van Halen said that's how he originated the tapping technique. He's like, hmm, why don't I see if I can do that like this? And, uh, hey, leads to another part of the legend of this song, Heartbreaker. I'm not going to say I'm a musician because I don't play any instruments. But just the the sound of the guitar on this song, I don't know if it's it would be considered dirty. It just it sounds it's got just a heavier sound to it, and it's so distinctive that where Page has you know a unique sound to begin with. But I think what just makes me listen to this and pay attention. You know, you can always listen to a song and or you just, you know, you have it on the background, but you pay attention to this because what he is doing is so ne- unique. And as you mentioned, Zeus, so, you know, for Eddie Van Halen, uh, I think he was 15 or 16 when he saw them live. You know, clearly they were doing something in front of an audience that was unique and inspiring others. And you know, just how many people listening to it in their home or at a party or in their car um, have, have had that same inspiration, influence, and just appreciation for that sound. Yeah, the last thing I'll leave you guys with is apparently he says that in 98 to Guitar World that the solo <laughs> sounds different because it was uh, done in a different studio. And yeah, it was recorded. Why- it was put together after the song. Yeah. 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 Well. It's still fucking legendary. Mm-hmm. I like the way the song reemerges after the solo, too. Yes. Agreed. Yeah. Well, let's go to the next track. With a purple umbrella and a 50 cent hand. Living, 
living, loving, made. I always thought it was part of the same song and Zeppelin was just going into a, a, another direction. Two different songs. Why Zeppelin is Zeppelin. Radio stations felt the need to, or this because there was no pause to just play both a, a nice little two for one. Um, I always felt like this was the you know, pop song of the album. It's got the upbeat tone. Uh, once again, you know, kind of just uh, you know, negative or a little dig at a woman uh, who has talked about days of yore and the lifestyle she's living. Living. Um, what I've always loved about this, you know, I, I'm I'm guilty of singing songs in the car. That if someone was driving up beside me, my windows are up, and you know, if you're doing. La, 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 la. like <laughs> what what are their reaction to me you know i i always admire this song because i cannot do it like plant um i i and i always just kind of find that uh amusing because you know was he just freestyling at the end was that just i don't know what to do because this this seems like it, it just they, they're writing down lyrics i mean when you start a song with a purple umbrella in a 50 cent hat you know it, it, it's it's like nothing else on this album but it's it's quick it's to the point and that's why i say it, it to me it feels like it's a it's a pop song i don't think the song is bad but i don't really have a lot of time for it even though it's a short song i think it's probably in the bottom 10 of their catalog it just doesn't do it for me it's not inspiring it's it's just kind of a throwaway song to me um i don't really have much to say about it i mean i i enjoyed it when i was younger because they played after heartbreaker as murph said on the radio but now as you know as you kind of discover more of zeppelin's catalog as you get older and you start to appreciate a lot of the other songs that are just incredible this song is kind of okay it's kind of all right fine i get it let's move along to the next one Oof. well i'll come in and rescue this song because i friggin love it I, I don't i don't care if it's historically considered to be part of heartbreaker the way the radio stations used to play it i, I love it two and a half minutes it's unlike anything they've ever done murph kind of nailed it it is kind of very poppy and peppy um Unfortunately, the band agreed with Jay. Uh, they never liked it. They consider it to be filler and they never played it live, which is shocking because it, it's it's a nice little upbeat two and a half minute kick ass rock tune. Um, I like it. You know, is, is it is it amazing part of their catalog? No. Is it bottom 10? Absolutely not. Jay, you're out of your mind. Love you, buddy. But that's way off. Um, I like it. I, I, I like the I like the rhythm. I like the guitar riff, the groove. Um, you know, the lyrics are ridiculous, but it's it's you know it's it's written about a groupie, um, living, loving maid. She's just a woman. I'm a fan. I always have been. Living, loving maid. In parentheses, she's just a woman. Uh, Jimmy Page and Robert Plant released as a single in Japan. It actually made it and charted in the U.S. Hit it up to number sixty-five. Um, about a groupie who stalked 
the band. Uh, Jimmy's least favorite Zeppelin song. That's why Zeppelin never formed it. Now, the part about it is that someone asked Jimmy, what is his favorite song? And he's like, that's too hard. I can't tell you. I can tell you what my least favorite song. Let's talk about uh, <laughs> Living, Loving, Made. And that's how that came up as like them not liking it. It's wow. a nice hard rock, almost metal kind of riff. Yeah. It's a Beavis and Butthead riff where you can nah, 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 them going, <laughs> you know, it's a radio friendly pop song, a very quick solo and then back to it. It's not a great like, holy shit, I love it. But I can see why some people really like it. it's a fucking good riff. Um, it's, it, you know, not everything is going to be as deep as Stairway to Heaven and Thank You. This is a good song. That's how I believe it. Now, let's ramble on. As uh, Kip Winger once said in a song he did. We got a Kip Winger reference in Zeppelin Chronicles. Shame on you, Zeus. And Shame also Slaughter, too. You never know what you're going to get. Dude, I am saying that to say how fucking awful Winger is. <laughs> I like that album a lot. Stuart. I like Winger. <laughs> oh, but oh, but I can't mention it then. You, you guys like it. No, we're just what you just said. You don't. We're saying we do. Go ahead. Wing <laughs> Always liked this song after the Lord of the Rings, not so much. <laughs> never knew about Tolkien, never knew about Gollum. Really was intrigued by the mystery of songs, lyrics, what's it about? And Ramble On was has always been a song that I liked. Liked how it had the very simple beginning. What's that percussion? Is that someone just banging on a bongo, a drum? I, I was always trying to listen and find out more about this song. Um, reminds me a lot about 
um, what is and what should never be. As, as I mentioned earlier, I, I like the songs that tend to be more folk, um, simple, stripped down, and you know, put aside the the meaning and and the inspiration. By you know, clearly it, it is Plant that is got his fingerprints all over this one. Um, I, I like it similar to what we saw earlier, as, as we talked about. Starts out very soothing. It, it, it's simple. You got the soft lyrics, and it picks up. And as they do so well, they can in one song go from just uh, uh, soft to, and I wouldn't say hard, but it's just kicking in, and they bring it back down again, and then finish up with, uh, with the outtake of just hooking you in by the time you are done with the song, you're like past what the lyrics are. It's just, this is a four, four and a half minute song where once again, you're pulled into Zeppelin, what they represent. And it is, I can't wait for what the rest of the album has. Uh, And even though it's only nine songs, you know that you still got two potentially strong ones ahead of you if this is the first time you're listening to it. What upsets me about this song is being a bootleg collector, there has never been a complete live version of this song ever performed by Zeppelin until the reunion show in 2007, which based on radio and based how many times the song gets played on your classic rock station, you'd think that'd be crazy. I love this song. I love how this song makes me feel like fall with the beginning, with the acoustic, with the emotion of the song. It is chapter one and Misty Mountain Hop is chapter two on these journeys of, of, uh, you know, of the, of the J.R. Tolkien, Lord of the Rings, Hobbit, lyrically uh, inspired, you know, songs. What, amazes me is how people have like when they think of Tolkien now they think of the movies right well those movies were around in 1969 and those books are regarded as great great pieces of fiction whether it's the Lord of Rings trilogy or whether it's the Hobbit and a young kid living in the Midlands which which uh, Plant did um, I could see him gravitating towards those books and why he did and why he was inspired to write those songs. It's not an accident that when Plant finally was given credit on songs and kind of taken off probation by the band, he went to Tolkien and not the whole song, but you know, a good portion is is mentioned. I love the crescending uh or the crescendo of guitar after the the first verse right? The page does, which like you feel like it's almost like rainfall the way he plays it. Uh, it's, it's a beautiful range song. It's a beautiful song. One of their best ever, in my opinion. And um, I really like where Plant went with this lyrically. Yeah, I mentioned it earlier when we talked about what is and what should never be about kind of doing the soft and loud uh, back and forth. And I think Ramble On is the template for any band who's going to write a song like this. The song is is right up there with some of the greatest work they've ever done. The lyrics, I could give a shit. I don't care. I'm not a fan of Lord of the Rings, the Hobbit, whatever. Great. Don't care. 
Um, you know, what I do care about is when the band kicks into gear, when he, when plant just starts wailing, ramble on, and you got to get again, that page and Bonham tandem there. Uh, it's just spectacular showcasing what the two of them are doing together. Uh, the beginning of the song, the little pitter patter sound that you hear Murph kind of hinted at it. There's all different kinds of stories about it. Um, most of the legends believe it's Bonham's bare hands on a guitar case, but then people think it could be his shoes. It could be a trash can lid. It could be bongos. It could be a pail. Uh, it could be sticks. It could be his bare hands. Who knows? But it's a, uh, it's, it's an interesting sound that he makes. Um, and it's a classic chorus. I mean, the, the band just is hitting everything out of the park. Uh, this is a song where, you know, and I mentioned it earlier when we did talk about what is and what should never be. This is a song where if you're really not sure what to play for somebody who doesn't know who Zeppelin is and what they can do, this might be the song you're playing because the chorus is quintessential Zeppelin. And then you got a lot of other things going on in the verses and the breakdown and the solo. Um, just a, an unbelievable track. Unbelievable. Ramble On, written by Jimmy Page and Robert Plant and Ronnie James Dio. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> number 440 in Rolling Stone's greatest songs of all time. Top 500. Uh, number five, Rolling Stone's greatest Zep songs. Uh, you guys talked about Tolkien's uh, Lord of the Rings. The song. Yeah. So the the so Tolkien part of this, I mean, he says the one part, and we all know it, what section it is. It's like in the darkest depths of Mordor, I met a girl so fair. And oh. I never knew what this was, the lyrics, until I read it. But oh. Gollum yep. and the evil one crept up and slipped away with her. her, her uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> now, again, it's almost like that. Uh, it's almost like it reminds me of like the old Motown songs. Like I can't find my baby. I'm looking for my baby. Like it's Robert talking about, he needs to find a woman and somehow he throws in the part of a woman. He loses this woman kind of uses the analogy of Mordor and Gollum and whatever. Um, so that's the only part to this. I was never a fan of this song. Never liked it. I used to get annoyed wow. by this song. I'll, I'll get there. I used to get annoyed because a lot of people love this song and I it didn't do anything for me. And what used to annoy me the most, and I think you you guys will say that, yes, you saw this. How many people in high school put in their yearbook ramble on at the end? I used I, to see it constantly. People would put, a, well, you know what? See you guys. I got to ramble on. Like, Go fuck yourself. I hey, saw you, some idiots putting see you on the dark side of the moon, yeah, but I never saw yeah. Ramble On. Uh, I saw Ramble On in high school yearbooks, okay. and it used to okay. drive me nuts. I don't know. I never got into the song. However, over time, things like this happened. And then, like, the Lemon song grew on me. Ramble On grew on me. Listening to this album, again, it's, maybe it's because, like, of all the songs you're more familiar with, you go to the ones you're not as familiar with because you start picking up those little earworms, right? And yeah, this song has grown on me tremendously. So I see what I was missing before. Um, I just love the way his, he sings this perfectly. The lyrics are nice and smooth. The, the melody, the guitar playing, the rhythm section, Robert's smooth section, and then John Paul Jones' smooth little bass line that he's got going on. And then they, I, I, the, the only way I can describe it is, I don't know what kind of tone or what he's using, 
then Jimmy's guitar. I don't know. It's the guitar. I'm suing it. it, it the, the whole fucking Cobra jerky boys. And I go, I don't know what that is, but I fucking love it. And then ran along. Ah, oh, fucking. And then Robert just keeps singing about searching for his girl. The song has just grown on me a lot. And yeah, they never played it live. I don't know why. It was a big hit. People love the song. They never played it live. I don't know. P- Page said that he was concerned about mixing in the, the acoustic with the electric on, in a live performance. So he, he's, he was kind of reticent about kind of trying to do that live. But yeah, they weren't putting another guitar player on the stage with him. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yep. I can see that. Um, yeah. Let's go get Moby Dick. This sounds horrible. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we're almost done with this fucking never ending show. Can we wrap this one up? That's why we do it every six months. <laughs> oh, shit. Let's go get Moby Dude, I got to fucking edit this shit. All right. You got to listen, you assholes. From the yeah, but you, but the good, the good thing about the good thing about that, Zeus, you can take your time because he's not scheduled. Nobody knows when this is coming out. They probably yeah. forgot about Zeppelin Chronicles. <laughs> All right. Let's go get Moby Dick. All right. Moby Dick, or in order to keep a straight face on everyone, we'll refer to it as the song as it was used on the tour of 1977, over the top, to keep okay. it a little clean. Okay. Um, you know, not a lot that you can go into great detail. No lyrics. Plant's not on this. This song was uh, you know, on the album to, to show off the skills that we already have seen on the previous songs by uh, of one John Bonham. What I am just fascinated by the song. I mean, look, I know we, we, it's it's about the solo. It's the three minutes in the middle of it. The first minute, the last minute, how it just kicks off, how that riff 
is not used in, and all right, I, I know I'm answering my own question that Zeppelin doesn't let, you know, shows and movies use their songs. But that first minute of this song feels like it should be in some type of car chase, barroom fight scene. It's just, it, it's, it gets your blood going. And, you know, Tommy, when you and I saw a few weeks ago, saw the band, it just, it, it just gets the room rocking. Incredible. And, and, and Zeus, it, you know, you were talking about your, your time over in Greece where you would hear the songs and if someone would be quiet. It, it immediately brought to mind this song here, especially the first 60 seconds, is you driving in traffic in Athens from what I've heard about Greece, everything just zooming in and out, up and down, speeding. And then you get to the Parthenon and you can listen to thank you. But um, clearly Bonham is uh, just uh, on the Mount Rushmore of, of greatest drummers of all time. And that's what this song is about. And you can appreciate it, but you know, there wasn't a lot beyond that, that really um, kind of makes me going looking for this song. At, at any point in time. I think I've listened to this song no more than five times in my life. Uh, drum solos should be on live albums and in live performances. They should not be on studio albums. I can understand why they did that because they wanted to showcase the greatest drummer of all time. I think the only thing that's interesting about this is the, the, uh, the guitar part in the beginning is from Out on the Tiles, which is from Led Zeppelin 3, which Bonham wrote the melody for. That melody is a Bonham melody. That's why they played it in the beginning of the song. That's why they did it live. Um, probably if, if you do collect bootlegs, one of the best things about this song is how Plant introduced Bonham differently every night. And some of it was serious. Some of it was a joke. Uh, and it's always nice to kind of go through your bootlegs if you have them and kind of see how Plant introduces Bonzo uh, prior to this um, prior to this drum solo. Drum solo live could be anywhere from you know the twelve minutes, ten minutes to sometimes twenty minutes. Um, it was a chance for Bonham to be to to indulge in excess when when uh, when he did play it for the crowd. You know, we all know Bonham's a, a great drummer. I think if you're a drummer, you probably listen to this. You probably enjoy it. But as someone who doesn't play drums, I've listened to it a handful of times. Right now, when I hear it, I skip it. Yeah, I love it. I mean, it's an instrumental, it's, but it's Bonham. Um, a couple a couple little fun facts about this song that kind of grabbed my attention when we were kind of looking into this, researching it. So they said that the song evolved from the unused BBC sh- session track the girl i love she got long black wavy hair i will tell you right now murph might know this bbc sessions is essential if you're a zeppelin fan and that song the girl i love she got long black wavy hair i don't know how that was not put on an actual studio release the song is fucking incredibly awesome it should have been on a zeppelin album um this was just an edit job. Uh, Page put all this stuff together just whenever he could he could capture uh, Bonham just banging around and playing around. But the the fun fact that I like is uh, previous guest of Shout Out Loudcast, Carmine Apiece. <laughs> this was Bonham's first time using his officially endorsed Ludwig drum set that he got 
after Carmine Peace called Ludwig and said that Bonham wanted to know what kind of drums he had, and he wanted the exact same kit. Because back in 1968, when uh, Carmine was with Vanilla Fudge, we'd had when we had him on, we talked about his impact. A lot of people don't know. I mean, if there was, there'd be no Bonzo if there was no Carmine Peace. So, a couple fun facts about a little. Uh, a little drum thing. And I'm being facetious when I say that, Jay. Keep your panties on, okay? Obviously, Bonham was coming around. Relax. Getting all uptight here. Just keep skipping the song and let me enjoy it. Moby Dick. Go ahead, Zeus. <laughs> Show Dick some respect. <laughs> Moby Dick written by John Bonham, John Paul Jones, and Jimmy Page. It's a decent enough riff. It was originally called Pat's Delight and then Over the Top. Uh, and you're right. It live. It went from six to 30 minutes. Um, he would play this in a, to a portion of, you know, with his hands yep. and a portion of it, his hands would bleed. <laughs> and I'm sure that some of it is like that on the actual solo. I don't know. I don't listen to, I, you guys all know how I feel about an instrumental. I, I generally speaking, I'm going into it, not liking it. Uh, I'm not a big fan of this, uh, but I get why they did it because now they get to use it as an excuse to on the drum solo that he'll do every fucking night. And uh, yeah, I mean, it is what it is when it comes on. I don't want to listen to. Yeah. And then, you know, obviously he's incredible drummer. I love the fucking groove that he does sometimes that bang that more than the. Yeah, all that other stuff. And that's a drummer's paradise. God bless you. I know there are people that love this shit, but the last thing I want to ever fucking see, and I don't care if it's Peter Chris, fucking Eric Carr, John Bonham, fucking Keith Moon, anybody. I don't want to see a drum solo. I don't like them. I just, I, I, I don't want to hear the fucking guy outside the garden playing in the fucking, the barrels, the upside down barrels either. Like, I could see me. Oh my God! You like drums? No, I don't. <laughs> so, Can you imagine being in a concert and hearing a thirty-minute drum solo? I that's fucking a, want to kill myself. That's offensive. I would ask for some kind of refund. Yeah. Many, I don't want to hear a thirty-minute anything. How much doobage are you smoking during that thirty minutes? No, I don't mind a thirty-minute version of Dazed and Confused. I'll take that because I love that. Hey, Zeus and I have already talked about. It. We want to get the three minutes out a whole lot of love. So thirty. Yeah, minutes that's true. Definitely that's up true. the door. Yeah. Well, God bless uh, Bonham. It's a way to showcase them. So enough of Moby Dick. Let's bring it on home with the last track. Got that load. 
home another borrowed song from the <laughs> willie dixon sunny sunny boy williamson um as i mentioned uh, earlier in this episode this is you know my opinion the the album where robert plant showed that he had uh was right for his big boy pants and uh was off probation uh, i feel that he, this is his song he's closing it out you know, he, he had the harmonica on the first album, brought up here. And, you know, I don't know if he was just kind of messing around, but at the beginning, he, he's just, you know, I don't know if he's trying to sound all bluesy, but it's just uh, starting off with the, the harmonica and the little lyrics. And then, boom, you know, bringing everybody back in, bring it on home, no pun intended, and the song just explodes. And, you know, at the end of the song, you, you have the harmonica and, and plant to, uh, again. But it just, as we've seen, in my opinion, throughout this album, just the ability of taking a song, starting off with that slow, have the build, the explosion where the four of them are working together as well as any band has ever done. And then, you know, end the album. Not a song that I usually go looking for, but as we got ready for this episode, I, I have a very, very higher appreciation for, for this particular song. And I, I think uh, it, it was a great call to, to finish off the album. That intro that you speak of is a homage to Sonny Boy Williamson, who was a tremendous harp player in the blues movement one of my favorite blues artists and if you have a chance to listen to his version you totally get the intro of this song and further on you get the harp playing on this song because that's what sonny boy williamson was known for this album ends with a great track bring it on home and more so than leads up in one the whole album outside of a few numbers is really a tribute to the Chicago blues movement, whether it's Willie Dixon, whether it's Sonny Boy Williamson, Howlin' Wolf, Muddy Waters, all those great blues artists. It really is a tribute to the Chicago blues. And Plant and Page have spoken about Buddy Guy and other artists too as well. 
that they adored, that they loved. I mean, Jimmy Page calls Buddy Guy the greatest guitar player to ever live. So this whole album really is a blues tribute to the Chicago blues movement. And it wraps with the Sonny Boy Williams song. Hearing this song live on bootlegs, they played it in different parts of their career, never really consistently on a tour. Um, it really does elevate. If you hear it on How the West Was Won, the, tr- the, the, the energy that that produces is just off the charts. It's a great blues song. Paige is playing on that, on that opening riff that he just freaking just jams and he kills it. Um, love the song. In fact, it, it could be one of my favorites on this album. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you guys mentioned all the, the blues, uh, you know, honoring their, their blues heroes on this with the with the intro and the outro. Uh, but after that little intro slows down and Paige comes in, me as a fan of drummers, as I already said, I enjoy listening to Moby Dick. When that riff comes in and Bonham just bangs the shit out of that snare to let you know that the song is kicking into gear now, it's this song is just it's so zeppelin it's so it, what a great way to end the album it's so powerful it's so energetic and then it slows back down and it has that nice little standard blues outro at the end and you just it, what a, a spectacularly perfect way to end this album uh and i think this song we said this a couple times already there's no deep cuts I feel like this song, people, I don't know if it's because of the intro and the outro and that blues and page and, uh, excuse me, plant doing the kind of weird vocal tricks at the beginning of the song. Um, but what's going on in the middle there is just perfect, perfect Zeppelin right there. Bring it on home. Written by John Bonham, Willie Dixon, <clears throat> John Paul <laughs> Jones, Jimmy Page, Robert Plant. Willie Dixon sues again, and he gets a writing credit. <laughs> Dude, he is like the Howard Harlan of that's a country music writer of like every of like blues music. Like everybody took his songs and made them hits because he's not known as the singer, the artist, like everyone. Oh, Willie Dixon. Uh, he, he like wrote all these great songs that they took. Um, yeah, the beginning homage to Sonny Boy Williamson. I fucking love that part. I think it's so cool, whatever he's doing. Good morning, good morning. Yeah. <laughs> That's how he sounded. That's how yeah. Sonny Boy Williamson sounded. Yeah. It's like, dude, is somebody sitting on his nuts? What the fuck is he singing like that? And lemon, <laughs> lemon has been squeezed out of it. Yeah. That, that sounds. That, it, bring it all home. Sunny boy Williams. He sounds more like Joe Walsh. Yeah, watch out. And then, amazing. Like, if the world didn't have a whole lot of love and heartbreaker, you'd be like, oh, Jimmy Page. He's the guy that did the riff for fucking Bring It On Home. Like this could be the one of the greatest riffs of all time. Yep. It is such a killer riff. And the way the band picks up again. Oh, I love the harmonica, which Robert doesn't get much credit for. I love his harmonica playing, but all this stuff that it, but that killer guitar and drums. And then right at the end, right back to Would oh. you? <laughs> Would you wait? Oh, wait. Secret big fat person. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, the Sunny Boy Williamson version, he does that. Watch out. Watch out. 
it's, it's a great it's a great tribute to him. My favorite part is if you read a little more into the Zeppelin books, there's a part in there where Jimmy's bitching that he's getting sued by him. He's like, "We're it's not a fucking ripping it off. We're we're giving an homage to him." He's like, "What part of this fucking song is anything to do with Willie Dixon's song? Like the middle part." He's like, "The right. beginning. We're just fucking giving an homage to him. We're not fucking stealing it." Uh, well, he lost only again. the beginning and the end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was upset about this one. But in the end, he settled it. Willie Dixon probably made fucking so much money off the Zeppelin shit more than he probably did his whole life on anything else. Well, that's true, because those blues artists didn't make anything. No, they were all ripping each other off and borrowing. Not just that, but it was the record companies that would release. They gave it. They gave them like peanuts, pretty much. Mm -hmm. I think we talked about this. And it's funny because the blues guys, everybody did a fucking version of that song. So if you see like, oh, 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 is this Albert Kingston? Like, oh, yeah, Albert Kingston. But he's not known for it. Uh, Sonny Boy Williamson is. Oh, he's not known for it. Howlin' Wolf is known for this. They all did it. In country music, the same thing would happen. The artists. So the same song that Johnny Cash did, go down the fucking list. They all did it. Uh, the fucking Loretta Lynn sang it as a female. Tammy Wynette sang it. George Jones sang it. Waylon Jennings sang it. They all sing these songs. They all become standards. And the songwriters become the guys that are popular in that genre, whether it's country, whether it's blues and things like that. Mm-hmm. Motown had it. Go listen to the early Motown shit. You'll find that fucking the tops and the temptations and other bands are all singing different versions of songs that you know. That's right. Yep. Hey man, the Temptations didn't sing that song, War. War. Huh? And you're like, oh, they did? What the fuck is that? Like, that's what was going on. There's a lot of that repetition. So I think what Zepp is saying, like, dude, they fucking all steal from each other. But we're the only ones that make money from these songs. And now everybody wants to sue us when they weren't suing each other for it. Well, plus the precedent was set off their first album. being So they probably became, you know, infamous as being ripoff artists. You know what I mean? They all were doing it, and then they, no, yeah, but right, they got right. the success from it. Exactly, that's where they got punished. Exactly, correct. Yep. Yeah, I mean, how many of those bands did all those versions of Little Richard and, and like the Beatles and Rolling Stones? How many of their fucking Little Richard songs and uh, Chuck Berry songs that they were all taken? Right, right. Or, uh, yep. or Eddie Cochran. They all were fucking taking those songs and playing them over and putting them on albums and shit. Except mm-hmm. they gave them credit. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Which somebody didn't over here. Anyway. Let's let's get to the uh, part where we just wrap up final thoughts on Zeppelin two before we get to the song rankings. Murph. Led Zeppelin two. Uh, if you are not familiar with the band and uh, you know, as I was in college other than Led Zeppelin four and got past the, the box set. If this album did not trigger you to uh, go deeper into what they were writing and creating, nothing was going to. Um, I think that if you were fortunate enough to be into music in 1969, you were really lucky. Obviously, a lot of great music coming out that year. And a lot of folks were going to Woodstock. Zeppelin wasn't there. And when you read up on it, there was a reason why. They wanted to set their own chart. And after listening to this album, after listening to Led Zeppelin 1, they were going down a path that very few, if any, bands have you know done done in the past and going forward. So, 
a, a pleasure to listen to this, a pleasure to have this as the assignment and look forward to uh, preparation for upcoming episodes. This album, as I mentioned earlier in the episode, was really a giant step forward for Led Zeppelin. For casual Zeppelin fans, you may not know the difference or hear the difference between Zeppelin 1 and Zeppelin 2, but it is huge. Not only is Bonzo's playing, John Bonham's playing um, off the charts at another level. His pocket is um, is defined on this album, where it really wasn't defined on the first one. Plans vocals gets more comfortable as he gets older. He's now 20 years old. He's no longer the teenager. Page, I think, is more becoming more comfortable with who he's in the band with. And he realizes that this is this band's going to be around for the long haul. And John Paul Jones, of course, in the background, doing what he does best with the arrangements, with with you know, getting the band to, to kind of do the things that elevate these songs better. It's the whole package. Just a couple weak points on this album that I mentioned, but what I love about it is more so than Led Zeppelin One is a tribute to my hometown, Chicago, and the blues greats that came before them, as they speak highly of. When you hear the live stuff, which we'll talk about here in a second, the medleys they used to do in the whole lot of love or how many more times, which they played on this tour, were a lot of blues standards, a lot of blues songs. And how they finish this song with the Bring It On Home and how they begin this, this album. I should say how they end this album and how they begin this album are both upfront in, in, in your face tributes to Chicago blues. And I love it. Zeppelin two is a great place to start for people who have never listened to Zeppelin. Although I don't know anyone on the planet who hasn't, but if you're a young kid and you're listening to this, this is a good place to start. There's a lot of good points to start at, but if this is as good as any. It's practically a greatest hits album. I mean, yes, yeah, they're only their second album, but what I mean by that is every single one of these songs we talked about at the beginning, every single one of these nine songs, including the instrumental Moby Dick, has been played on classic rock radio. It's one of the few albums in rock history that you can really say, oh, I don't know that song, or is that a deep cut? That's kind of a hidden track I don't hear. Everybody knows every one of these songs, and it's only their second album. We talked about it. It's the template for metal. It's the template for guitar-based riff-rocking songs. Yeah, there's blues on it. Jay said it. You know, we talked about it. Yeah, bring it on home. Great way to end on the album. I mean, even the song title itself, bring it on home. Let's wrap it up. Um, It's just a spectacular album. Where we rank it, we'll find out soon enough after uh, the first two albums, but it's iconic, it's legendary, it's classic. It's Zeppelin 2. Yeah, for me, again, this wasn't an album that I got into, but everybody else was into it. So when you when you start looking at it like that, I would always kind of be like, ah, begrudgingly be like, ah, everybody else likes it. But I see the brilliance of these albums. Well, that's just me being stubborn, because when you listen to us all the way through, you're like, holy fuck. And uh, I'll get into it when we start ranking these coming up. But Zeppelin 2 is a great place for people to get into Zeppelin and to listen to it for the first time and be like, all right, well, I'll try this band out. Go. You'll, you'll, you won't be sorry. So this is my favorite part of these episodes. Yep. Let's rank these songs. So 
Murph, number nine for you. Number nine, Moby Dick. Tommy. Same thing. I love it, but it's an instrumental. Moby Dick. Jay. Moby Dick. All the way across. I'm Moby Dick at number nine. Here it gets interesting. Number eight. Number eight, the lemon song. (sighs) Yikes. Well, this is when I get kicked off the show, folks. So it's been nice knowing everybody. I got a heartbreaker at number eight. (laughs) I think we should, before we move on, I think we all should say this. Dude, they're all these songs are great. Exactly. There's nobody sitting there going heartbreaker. I have it number eight. So it's uh, it's as bad as the street giveth and the street giveth away by kiss. It is probably one of the greatest songs. However, my body. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. but that no, but but you bring up a great point. You're ranking, like I said, you're ranking like a greatest hits album. So Heartbreaker at eight would be number one for fifty other albums. Well, combine all the poison tracks together. I don't want to. I don't yeah. let's not let's well, not ruin yeah. this episode. Yes. Come on, Zeus. Go, Go a little too all right. far. All right. Go ahead, Jay. Boundaries, Zeus. Boundaries. Number eight is Living Loving Made. Yeah, we can see that one coming. Uh, number eight for me, Ditto, Living Loving Made. Number seven, Ramble On. <sighs> Ouch. That hurts. Living Loving Made is number seven for me. Number seven for me is The Lemon Song. Jay, I think you're copying me. Number seven, The Lemon Song. And I love this song. I do. Mm-hmm. Number six, and now we're definitely getting into the area where it could all be changed around between two and six for me. But number six is Bring It On Home. Okay. Number six for me, Lemon Song. Six for me is Heartbreaker. I shit you not. I wrote my stuff out, Jay. Heartbreaker. Wow. Nice. Heartbreaker for me, number five. Uh, I got what is and what should never be at five. This is where it really gets difficult. Agreed. Yes. I would say number five for me is what is and what should never be. The streak is over. Number five for me is ramble on. Number four, living, loving made. Wow. Yeah. This, the it's the, like I said, I like it. It's a, it's a, it's got that pop element that I like. It's quick and to the point. And uh, I knew after the review, I was like, Ooh, I might get kicked <laughs> off after that. Uh, number four for me is thank you. Oh, Would you? So, sorry, buddy. My number four is whole lot of love. Ooh, that's a hate crime. No, <laughs> uh, four for me. What is, and what should never be number three. What is and what should never be? Number three for me, bring it on home. Number three for me is ramble on. Uh, Three for me, whole lot of love. Number two, whole lot of love. Two for me, ramble on. Two for me is bring it on home. Jay, ditto, bring it on home, number two. My number one, Zeus, I know I get a lot of flack from you for Shandy. 
But for, in this episode, number one, thank you. Number one for me by far uh, might be my favorite non-Kiss song of all time is Whole Lot of Love. Yeah, I, I, I just I can't get tired of this song no matter how many times I hear it. It's I can't get tired of it. Number one for me is thank you. Number one for me, and I'm not sure anything's ever going to beat this, is thank you. Wow. Three of the four with the same number one. Amazing. So as I have it added up here, uh, number three is Bring It On Home. Number two is Whole Lot of Love. And the number one song on this album combined is Thank You. Wow. Now, yep. Now, here comes the interesting part. We have only one other album to compare this to. So let's do album covers first. We uh, Zeppelin one and Zeppelin two. What do we got? For me, Led Zeppelin one is possibly uh, the greatest rock album cover of all time. So it's not even, it is not even debatable. Uh, I can just, you can use this going forward for every episode, but for today, Led Zeppelin one and then Led Zeppelin two. For me, I agree. It's uh not even close. I think the Zeppelin two cover is iconic historically speaking, but visually uh, Led Zeppelin one crushes it for me. I think Led Zeppelin two's cover is more interesting. So I'm going to go with the Brown bomber. Nice. Wow. Well, I'm, I'm agreeing with the guys. I'm going with Zeppelin one is the better album cover. And uh, yeah. So Jay, you're on an Island, but you know what? It's a great album, this uh, album cover. So mm-hmm. either you can't go wrong with either one. Uh, before we get into the actual review of, and ranking of the albums, just quickly want to note, uh, I think we're all history aficionados. Uh, we just passed the anniversary of the Hindenburg event tragedy, which is the, uh, unfortunately, but you know, from a musical standpoint, our, our, you know, we, we benefited from having the album cover of Led Zeppelin 1. Damn, interesting. Murph, thanks for that happy note. Um, let's go now and rank these albums. Zeppelin 1, Zeppelin 2. What do you got? Both incredible albums for those that listen to not only this album review. Uh, if, if you've already listened to Led Zeppelin 1 or go back, um, it is evident that the four of us are huge fans of both albums, but in uh, my opinion, what we just reviewed is uh, by far uh, the superior album. It's that is no way uh, a negative indication of Led Zeppelin One, but what we have for these nine songs is, I feel, as close as perfection for any type of rock album. All right. This was way more difficult for me than I thought it was going to be. A whole lot of love is just legendary for me. It's I I keep going back and forth, even up to this minute, but I'm going to say that for me and and this, we talk about this Zeus when we talk about kiss or whatever. I'm going with Zeppelin one here. And wow. I'm going with Zeppelin one for a couple different reasons. 
for me as a Zeppelin fan, it offers me a little bit more from their color palette. You know, you got Babe, I'm going to leave you. You got Dazed and Confused. You got Your Time is going to come. You got How Many More Times, Communication Breakdown. You got those blues songs like I Can't Quit You. I love Led Zeppelin too. I, I truly do. But for me, I feel like Zeppelin won. I don't know. It, it's difficult to pick. I mean, it's there's a hairline separating the two for me. I so shared you, a bedroom with you for four years. I cannot believe we are not in sync on this. Well, wow. Maybe, well, I'm sorry. We don't sleep together anymore. So <laughs> the bald guy talks about a hairline. That's true. Yeah. We well, see the rest of me. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Go ahead. This was not difficult at all. Uh, like I mentioned in the first part of the episode that Led Zeppelin one seemed like it was rushed to get out because Paige wanted to put something out. Uh, they changed the name at the last minute, you know, instead of the new Yardbirds, um, it became Led Zeppelin after Keith Moon told, uh, told what he told to Jimmy Page. And when you think of the sound, the defining sound of Zeppelin, to me, it starts with Zeppelin too, with the diversity, with the journey of the songs, the, the, the depth of the songs, the musicianship, Bottoms drumming as elevated on this, Plant is becoming more comfortable with the band. Page is a better player on the band, I think. Plus, he's showing off with his acoustic guitar. They're not afraid to do some jazzy stuff that John Paul Jones is bringing in. This encompasses what really is beginning. You know, Led Zeppelin one, one of the greatest debuts of all time, lays the groundwork for the, the band itself. However, the sound starts with Zeppelin too. The, the willingness to take chances, like with what is and what should never be, thank you, is a big deal. Not just because it's a great song. That's a big deal for a band that plays like Zeppelin to come out with that song. It's a lot of balls for them to do that. So to me, Zeppelin too, uh by a country mile. Wow. All right. All right. For years, I was always saying Zeppelin one over Zeppelin two for years. And I just, I thought I was going into this going to say, oh, Zeppelin one. But I did an album clash by myself. And I looked at the songs and head to head track numbers. Only three songs for me beat the songs on Zeppelin uh, one beat the songs on Zeppelin two. Your time is going to come. I beat had it beaten Heartbreaker. I can't quit you, babe. Is uh, is uh, beat Moby Dick. And how many more times? Barely beat Bring It On Home. Everything else beat the other song. And the only way I look at it is Black Mountain Side. I like it. It's a better song. Moby Dick is almost skippable to me. But I I don't know. I I just. I've, I can't believe I'm going to say this. And I like the album cover and I like the nostalgia of Zeppelin one for me more. And I love how many more times and your time is going to come, but I'm going to go with Zeppelin two. At least it's a little bit closer. I mean, at, yeah. least you had a, at least you had to think about it. Unlike these other two buffoons. No, it, 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 I mean, I, Tom, I went into this going, Oh, yeah, well, I'll put Zeppelin two below it because that's not where my nostalgia goes. 
I went into this. I, w- I actually went into this the opposite. I went into this to be like, oh, Zeppelin two, friggin' easily. And then I was listening to it, and not that not that my enjoyment went down. It's just I was listening to this and Zeppelin one, and I was like, okay, like I already said, Zeppelin one just offer. I understand Jay's point. Jay made some great points about the maturation of the band and what Page and Plant did and everything. I get all that. And and again, there is literally a fraction of a fraction separating yeah. these two albums for me. It's not a country mile. It's not a country mile at all. No, this these are just, very close. Yeah. This Murph. is just going to show you how tough it's going to be for future albums to just. Uh, I totally these. agree. But th- I'm already looking ahead at Zeppelin 3, and I don't know where well, the hell I'm going to rank that. Well, well, Tom, you said something about how Zeppelin 1 kind of kind of checks all the boxes with kind of the palette of Zeppelin. Right. Yes. And I'm thinking that when you said that, I'm thinking I'm I'm doing a, you know, I'm cataloging Zeppelin two after you said that. I'm like, wait a minute, it's got a whole lot of love. It's got bring it on home. It's got heartbreaker. It's got these blues tunes. But they're all riff, can... they're they're all guitar riff songs, which are great. Whereas your time is gonna come is very heavy on the acoustic in in the organ. But can't you compare like your time is gonna come to like a ramble on? No. I can't. No, okay. No, not really. Here's the other part to this that I forgot to mention and where I thought you would be like this with me, Tom. It has my one of my favorite songs of all time. You you know, thank uh, you. Thank you is yeah. just to me it, it it it's better than anything you know on Zeppelin 1 and I love some of the songs on Zeppelin 1. I figured you'd be like that because of whole how of you love. feel of a whole lot of love. So I'm a little yeah. surprised. I'm just not that passionate, like the way I like, like dazed and confused and your time is going to come and babe, I'm going to leave you. And how many more times those four songs carry more weight for me individually than any four songs on Zeppelin two. Gotcha. So, but yeah, it's a tough one. And it's, I think Murph, you said it's going to get tougher as these, you look ahead at the rest of the discography. It's going to get real, real bad. Love this shit. Yep. Well, we're going to move on to this. Thank you very much. I'd like to introduce Led Zeppelin to you. On bass guitar, John Paul Jones. John Paul Jones. On drums, John Bonham. Lead guitar, Jimmy Page. And myself, Robert Plant. All right. Yeah, it's, um, I guess it's my time to shine on this. It's um, the bootleg section of the Zeppelin Chronicles. And we go back to July 3rd of 1970 in Montreux, Switzerland, and Casino de Montreux. Um, The bootleg that I have is Intimidator, and it's an amazing set. It's an audience recording that every once in a while you have a bootleg in, in the Zeppelin realm that is better than a soundboard recording and this is one of those times and we're going to talk about more as we continue on with these episodes but there's not 
a lot to not like about this set in the recording, and let's go through it. So it starts off with the rare track that was recorded for Zeppelin II that didn't make it on any studio album, but made it on the album Coda, the compilation album, is We're Gonna Groove. Opening with that song is just tremendous, and it's a shame that We're Gonna Groove didn't end up on Led Zeppelin II. You go into I Can't Quit You, Babe, Dazed and Confused, Heartbreaker, White Summer, Black Mountain Side, side into what was to be on Led Zeppelin III, Since I've Been Loving You. So they actually started playing this before, which leads me to think, and I, I've never been able to really confirm this, but was Since I've Been Loving You recorded during the Led Zeppelin two sessions that's a good question that's something maybe we should probably look into uh into the organ solo into thank you and again hearing this live version on this bootleg you'll you'll know what i'm talking about when you hear plan sing it what is and what should never be into moby dick how many more times which includes a medley i think the version of this song is about 30 minutes figures boogie chilling bottle up and go my baby left me jenny jenny and the lemon song into a whole lot of love and they end with communication breakdown now what was great about this tour is zeppelin really started to become like the beatles during this tour you know the screaming girls the people chasing them down the street this show only fit two thousand people which is not very big back then it was probably a nice-sized crowd but the crowd that was left without a ticket outside almost quadrupled who was inside and the art a lot of articles written for the newspapers in that area said that people were breaking into the kitchens they were breaking in other ways to kind of get to see the show it was creating it was madness zeppelin was creating madness in the show because the anticipation after led zeppelin one into this album was off the charts globally. As we know on the charts, it ended up on number one in the UK, number one in the US, number one around the world. And this tour really set the tone for their live shows, for their medleys, for what they were known for. And I highly recommend Intimidator. It's under some other names too as well. You might just find it under Montro um, or Casino de Montro as well. But the main one that I have is Intimidator. It's a great audience recording, and I think Zeppelin fans will enjoy it. Nice. Excellent. Thanks, Jay. Always love the bootlegs. Yeah. Yeah. Great show. So, Murph, uh, I know people can find you here on this podcast. Um, What about you, Jay? Where can people find you? Well, people can find me all over the place. Uh, Social media. Find me on Twitter at The Hook Rocks, as well as Facebook. Search up the Hook Rocks, and we are now posting on Instagram, which is exciting. So if there is a social media app that makes me feel instantly stupid, it is Instagram because it's all done by phone, and you're so used to doing things on Twitter and Facebook you know, by your fingertips on a MacBook or you know, PC, whatever. You're trying to like do things and post stuff on Instagram, and there's all these little buttons and tabs, and you're like, man... I feel like I'm an idiot. I feel like my grandfather trying to work the VCR when I would stay overnight and he wanted to play me, you know, play or watch the Godfather with me. And he'd be like, Jeffrey, how do you work this goddamn thing? 
That's how I feel when I'm on Instagram. So check me out on all those. We got Patreon coming here within the next 60 days. I'm going to commit to that. So check that out. Zeus has been on my ass about that. And uh, I can't wait to uh, do some things. And hey, we're also going to see each other at Creatures Fest. So that's going to be exciting too. Hell yeah. Tom, what about us? Are we around anywhere? We're around, yeah. Uh, if this is your first time hearing the show, we are Shout It Out Loudcast. We're an all-kiss podcast. We drop new Kiss episodes every Saturday. Uh, we also have the album review crew with our friend Sonny Pooney. We do those once a month. Those are album reviews of non-Kiss and non-Zeppelin bands. And uh, we do this, the Zeppelin Chronicles, uh, which uh, once every blue moon, an episode will come out. So um yeah and you can find us on our website shoutoutloudcast.com and on all the social medias twitter facebook instagram and our email at shoutoutloudcast at gmail.com yeah and don't forget you can always uh send us dms anywhere on social media um you again uh we also want to thank our patreon subscribers i know a lot of you guys have been asking for this we're glad we finally got to it if you're interested in patreon or any Shout out Loudcast merch, go to our awesome new website and you can find everything there, including the track listings, the rankings that we have for this album, the rankings of the song and everything on the Zeppelin Chronicles right there for you at your fingertips. And please leave comments, uh, social media, the website, wherever you'd like. And uh, we look forward to doing the next episode for you guys. Before we leave, though, We always like to use famous last words, and those are lyrics from some song off this album. And Murph, you want to lead us off? Sure. My lyrics for today, nobody hears a single word you say. Living, loving, she's just a woman. But you keep on talking till your dying day. Living, loving, she's just a woman. Very nice. I'll go next here. Very simple lyrics here. Shake for me, girl. <laughs> I want to be your backdoor man. Hey. Oh. Hey. Oh. Hey. Oh. My lyric is her style is new, but the face is the same. As it was so long ago, but from her eyes, a different smile like that of one who knows. Ooh. Well, mine will bring a tear to your eyes. So here we go. If the sun refused to shine, I would still be loving you. If mountains crumble to the sea, there will still be you and me. <laughs> Ooh. I love you guys. Well, uh, I'm going to get Dick. Yeah, I'm going to go get Moby Dick. Murph, thank you. Jay, thank you. Tom, thank you. Loudcasters, Kiss Army, Zep fans, thank you. Long overdue. Glad we did this, guys. Always a great time. Love talking Zeppelin with you guys. Jay, Murph, Zeus, awesome. Thank you, guys. I'll leave it at the time we'll get Moby Dick. Peace out, Girl Scout.